Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 181, blazing our way to 200. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Getting ready for my big trip. Looks like we'll be flying out on Friday. Checking flights. Think we're trying to get Polaris. Trying Look to fly. That. Trying to fly in style. But, Mr. Uh, Fancy, nice. But we'll see. We ordered a Dirndl for uh, for Melanie, my girl, and um, she got one that was too small. They they always run very small. Got it on Amazon. Um, it's authentic German from a German brand. They ship it out of Kentucky, though. It's weird. Mm. Yeah, well, that's pretty much, you know, Western Germany now, now that Germany has reunited into one that's right. single Germany. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're going to Oktoberfest, and if, if someone that perhaps did not hear the last episode 180, that was a recap, a precap, actually, of Oktoberfest 2019, what to do, tips, plans, and if you're making a last stop out in Germany down in Munich, might want to check out that episode, too. Yeah, I'm going to have to see uh, what's going on there with the, this is where I get my Opry Ski songs firsthand. Johnny Depp. Johnny Lawrence Buffel. Is that who Lawrence it is? Buffel. Yep. You got it. I have to get a little, people are going to be like, what's your favorite song? Johnny Depp, Lawrence Buffel. Johnny Depp. Yes. We may be listening to that on the airplane a few times. Oh, repeatedly. It's going to be stuck in your soul after that. Johnny Depp, Depp, Depp. It's already in my head, so. Yeah, you hear it again. You hear it the first time. You hate it. You hear it the second time. You're like, hmm, I understand this a little it's bit more now. Bad. Then you go and you experience it in an après ski scene or at Oktoberfest or a soccer game. And Magical. it's just, it's never going to leave your being. Yeah. It's just magic at that point. Pretty much. So thank you, everybody, so much for checking out the podcast. You can check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We have thrown that new fancy coat of paint at its new functionality jazzed up the site a bit. I keep checking it out and keep tweaking it. I love it. I think it looks really cool and professional, fun, modern. Hopefully you agree as well. Uh, while you're there, go to the shop, buy some swag. We got new stuff coming. Talk to the printer. Got some shirts and hats coming. Uh, be a few weeks still, but there's still some cool stuff from uh, the last season that we still have in there. Check that out. Skibumpodcast.com slash shop. Still that Yeti Rambler, right? Ah, yeah. Yeah, there's still a couple of those left. And as we saw on International Coffee Day, I posted that on Instagram. It is a fantastic coffee holding vessel. Also works for hot sake and Gluvine at Apreski. Gluvine? So, things Jaeger? to keep in. Jaeger tea? Jaeger tea as well. I actually had hashtag Socktoberfest for the sake. Nice. Socktoberfest. Pretty sure it didn't trend yet, but uh, I, I could definitely see it doing that. So check us out on the socials. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at Ski Bum Podcast. We're also on SoundCloud, YouTube, <clears throat> Stitcher, uh, iTunes, everywhere. iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. Yes. Check us out there. You could subscribe, rate us. On the, that would really help us out. Five stars would be ideal. We thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and for people still DMing us and shouting out for stickers. We're happy to keep sending them out. So thank you. I'm sure it's going to crank up a little bit more now that the ski season is getting ready to start up because it's a little bit slow in the summer to be expected. But once once the uh, season starts up, we really start ramping up the request. So keep we've coming. We've had conversations baby. with some serious fans that are like, yeah, I've just been busy doing crap in the summer. You get bogged down. It's hot out. 
hot as balls. You know, even thinking about skiing, and they've even admitted to us they're like, "Yeah, I've been slow on getting to the ski stuff because life just catches up in the summer." You know. Yeah. Speaking of catching up, before we get into the show, we do have one sponsor today. Our first sponsor of the show, big shout out and to Quickie Wax, which just started sponsoring us this week. They are a Colorado ski bum owned company and proud sponsors of our podcast. If you want more information, yes, big round of applause, standing ovation. You can check them out at quickiewax.com, Q-U-I-C-K-I-E-W-A-X.com. There they have a shop. You can buy their wax, their swag. It's great stuff. We have it coming our way. Uh, looking forward to getting the tune, the uh, skis tuned up and fired up for the season. Going to be using some of this. They have a bunch of different uh, temperature waxes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They got uh, warm, all temp, cold, and cleaner which is kind of nice that's like the storage one that you put on in the in the spring i guess yeah they're sponsoring the podcast if you are going to come to our event there's still a few spots left october 18th red bank new jersey at the red tank brewery please go to the website skibumpodcast.com we have info there how you can sign up get on the list it is rsvp only we have limited number of spots we only have a few more left we will be giving away a couple packs of wax at the event. So wax pack. Yeah. Wax packs. If you want to get in and, uh, and grab some wax, get ready for the season. Definitely come there because you may have a shot to get some. And we'll probably have some contests coming up in the next few months to get some wax in people's hands. So thank you again, quickie wax. Please check them out. And with that, it's time for our pray today. All right, but I want you to start us off this week because I've been starting us off more recently because I've been pretty highly tuned before getting on the show. So there's no yes, stopping me. <laughs> that's true. I will start off then. Yes. If you are on the East Coast today, this is being recorded on October the 2nd, which is Wednesday. It was so damn hot. It was like Florida hot in the New York, New Jersey area. It was hotter up there than it was down here in Florida. It got up to like 91 or 92 muggy, disgusting degrees today. Really? Yeah, it was Beautiful out. There's a breeze going here. I don't know what you guys have up there. It was a very freak kind of weather pattern. It has dropped already about 20 degrees and it's due to drop at least another 10 overnight. So we've gotten through it. We survived. We are portraits of courage. But I decided because, you know, it was summer's just one last final breath. It's last gasp. I decided I'm going to go back to a summertime favorite. I'm going with a delicious homemade watermelon margarita. Because I, for the last, I think, three summers, that has been my official summer drink. And I thought, you know, I purchased my final watermelon of the summer. I have some (laughs) cut up in the fridge. I might as well make that final watermelon margarita on this hot, hot day. It's the final melon. Well, it's weird when you're going from like watermelons to pumpkins. You know, I don't know if they're in the same family, but it's kind of, you have to have one or the other. When you get the crossovers of the two, it just seems weird. They're on the... They're in the same patch, aren't they? Or around the same patch? I would think so. But the watermelons must come, must ripen earlier. You get those. And then the pumpkins a little bit later. 
because you can only have one or the other. I mean, you're not drinking, you're not having watermelon anything when it's cool and you're not having pumpkin anything unless you're weird like you when it's hot. Yeah. What if they cross hybridize the pumpkin and the watermelon and you have like a, a wumpkin or a, a, pu- a pumelon or something like that? you have like a mellow lantern? Mellow lantern. Just drink that. Have that in a beer. Actually, I wonder how if that would be good if you had like a... Is that a cantaloupe if you mix a watermelon and a pumpkin? I don't know. If a watermelon and a pumpkin have a baby, that's a cantaloupe? I think it's a cantaloupe. Damn. I want to look at a cross. It has to be. It's like a light orange. It's got the weird skin. I don't know. There's there's something to it. They're definitely in that oh. same family. There's been a search already out there. Let's see. Cross feed and watermelon pumpkin. Watermelon pumpkin hybrid. Watermelon and squash. So the uh, they will not cross pollinate. They will Damn not. It. They tried it. Some freak out there was like. So, so the goddamn. So which one's the racist? Is it the watermelon or the pumpkin? <laughs> I don't know, you man. Keep that watermelon bloodline pure, boy. So they're saying you can get a squash and a pumpkin, or squash and zucchini because they belong belong to the same plant species, but watermelon is a different species. Ah, Citrullus lan- lanatus. That's kind of a bummer. I think oh, they did it. I got. I gotta believe they did it. Let's see images between a watermelon and a pumpkin. I see something that looks like it says squash, pumpkin, cucumber, watermelon, and it's like it looks like a giant cucumber mm. in the shape of a watermelon. When they cut it open, it looks gross. Mm. Maybe it's not a good idea. Watermelon spice latte. <laughs> not gonna work. Oh wait, they do have a cute. They're tiny ones. They got to do something crazy. There's like a gherkin in there. It gets weird. I got to turn this off. I'm going to see something. I, you can't see it. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. Maybe it's a good thing though. See, maybe you got to keep pumpkin and watermelon separate. So segregation of a pumpkin and watermelon. Yeah. We were rolling into pumpkin season. All of a sudden someone turned up the heat. We just took a quick little brief return to watermelon season. And after today, Going to be full on pumpkin time. You haven't had a pumpkin yet. I had one pumpkin beer a few weeks ago. Which one? Uh, I told you it was the smutty nose. The smutty nose. Yeah. I don't know if I like the smutty nose too much. Not Is that bad. It's not one of the best. It's not one of my go tos. The go tos I like the Schlafly one is really good. Yeah. That one's the good. Weyerbacher Imperial pumpkin is really good. And the dogfish, the pumpkin. The pumpkin. Those are probably the three I go. The three go-tos. Yeah, Southern Tier, the uh, Pumpkin is good, too. Pumpkin is pretty good, yeah. Um, that's the one I had, the Pumpkin on tap. Pumpkin. Okay. Had it like two weeks ago. So, yeah. So, one funny thing <laughs> about the watermelon margarita that I'm having is I'm using a good tequila in it. I'm using Herodora Silver, Ooh. which is, you know, definite sippable tequila. It's really good stuff. Are you going to brush your teeth tonight with $100 toothpaste, too? Because uh-huh, that's I will. Because that's some fancy shit right there. Well, I will tell you, I received this as a gift, and I will admit I have regifted liquor before, but I have never regifted etched, engraved with my name liquor before. Oh, that's what they did, huh? So this bottle, they made sure you're not giving by a soon-to-be family member whose name is engraved or etched in this bottle. Wow. Which I did not notice at first, but now I find hysterical. 
<laughs> that's awesome. Watermelon margarita. That's my app, right? Mario, what do you got? Well, I felt like having something again, that was, you know, leading out of summer and, and getting, you know, as an homage to summer. So I found the, um, I had this before and I hadn't had it in a while. And I just, for some reason, I was like, Hey, that sounds pretty good. So I got the new Belgium citradelic. It's the tangerine IPA. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I think I've had that one before. They came out with a bunch of them and I was kind of looking for new Belgium because they have, they came out with two that I tried at a uh, festival this year, but I couldn't find them in the stores because I go to like ghetto stores and bodegas. They didn't have them. <laughs> um, that was a, a passion fruit one. Yeah. The passion fruit. And I couldn't find it. Um, and and that's they had the Reso one. Yeah. The Agua, Agua, Dan, uh, Agua Fresca. Was that what Agua was? Fresca. That's what it was. Those were really good. Yeah. But I, I have a liquor store by me. That's pretty ghetto. So I try to stay away from there because there's always like cops around and like stuff is going around. It's pretty fun to watch what's going on there. But um, the more legit establishments, by the time I go there, I'm looking for other stuff. You know what I mean? Like local beers and all sorts of stuff. But uh, I saw this for some reason in a, uh, a good uh, good grocery store. And I was like, hey, let me, let me get a sixer of that. Why not? They're probably clearing out everything they have, you know, distributing it out. But um, I like it. Regular the pumpkin. Getting ready. Yeah, this will there's a good transition into the pumpkin. It's got a nice citrusy uh flavor. Uh it's an IPA, but it's not too beefy of an IPA. Uh it is, if I could see, I think it's four point two. So, yeah, I'm gonna have to, oh, I'm that's really put on my glasses. Let's put on my glasses here. Very sessionable. Oh no, six percent. Oh, there you go. There we go. There's the killer right there. Yeah, so it's not too bad, but it has a little tangerine uh, flavor with a little hoppiness. Um, good stuff. New Belgium makes uh, some pretty good stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. They do too. Is they they seem to pick a style or you know some flavor profile and then do different varieties of it. You know, like the Voodoo Ranger, they'll have like multiple varietals of that one. Yeah. That's Citradelic. I think there's a few different that are like Citradelic derivations, aren't there? I don't know. I thought they had a few. I could be making that up. They have a pumpkin one? I know they do have... I think they have a Voodoo Ranger pumpkin because that one has the cayenne. I had that one last year. That was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the Voodoo Ranger itself, the regular IPA is a little... Um, that's fruity too. That has a little... Yeah. You know, I hate the sites that give you... Like, you got to put in your exact birthday. I'm like... Who's ever putting in their exact birthday? I was doing one one nineteen twenty. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I went to a site. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, there are some sites that they just ask you are you eighteen or up, and you just click it. Or yes, twenty one no. and up. Yes or no? Those are the ones I love. But there was one. It was a uh, a foreign site, and they said are you sixteen or up? I was like, damn. It was a German beer site. I was like, wow, <laughs> things got real right there. <laughs> Different world. Um, yeah, Voodoo Ranger, Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin. That looks pretty good. Is that the one with the cayenne? Uh, cinnamon habanero chilies. That's the one, yeah. And pumpkin. That one was really good, if you can find it. Yeah, the the Mural, the Agua Fresca, that's the one that I had before. That was really good, too. Uh 
Wow, they have a peach kick. Sour ale with peaches. Mm. Huh. Oh, they have a mountain time. Cold and refreshing as snow melt in spring. Nice. I like the way that starts. But yeah, anyway, this is uh, pretty good. Got to go to New Belgium one of these days. Right in Fort Collins, right? Colorado? Fort Collins, and I think they have one in North Carolina, too. Yeah. So we'll see. All right, we oh, by, the way, by the way, I'm looking at the Quickie Wax website. I love their little logo. It's like a bunny on skis. Yeah. Follow the white rabbit. Let's get into uh, the Kenjula. And first up, I love the story. We've talked about him in the past. Mike Tyson, a hero to all of us. He is revealing plans to set up a cannabis farm on Caribbean Island to cater for pot-loving Brits. Nice. And this article is from The Sun, which is a British paper. So obviously they talk about, you know, Brits in it a bit. But yeah, Antigua and Barbuda. He is looking to develop a farm on the islands to accommodate entertainment, leisure, and accommodations. That's great. Yeah. He also plans to introduce a marijuana conference on the island, which is expected to take place in April of 2020 and every year thereafter. Damn, we got to get tickets to that. So they're not only talking about just marijuana and hemp, but they're also talking about entertainment and leisure, you know, conference, hotels. They're saying it's like it will be the Davos of cannabis. It will take place on an annual basis and bring stakeholders from throughout the globe. Man, that's great. How sweet is that? It's like the uh, Burning Man of weed. It's it's Burning Man times like Comic-Con. Yeah, right? Just a whole just establishment. Yeah, weed con. I think great for the islands too, because if you look at the islands, they probably should capitalize on the weed industry and tourism, weed tourism, because they're getting ripped by hurricane after hurricane and stuff. So, you know, they need to make as much money as they can somehow. Yeah, hurricanes, you know, alleged global warming that's causing the ocean to rise and they're losing real estate, losing beachfront. The funniest thing of this article is they have a picture of Mike Tyson standing in a grow house and he's got this entire purple suit. He looks like a fucking weed Teletubby. It's great. That's a good look for him. Yeah. He's like the grimace of weed. <laughs> grimace of weed. <laughs> Mayor McWeed. Yeah. He's got no, a, the best a picture. I thought you were saying the picture at the bottom of the article with him with the giant freaking joint. I love how they uh, say he was seen smoking a one foot joint. Dude, you have a picture of him. <laughs> it's not alleged. He was smoking that shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up we have, can marijuana help treat autism symptoms? A new study aims to find out. So they're saying GW Pharmaceuticals, um, they're the ones that have the only cannabis medication ever approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration um, to, to treat two rare types of epilepsy. Um, they said they're actually, they have some researchers that are inspired now to consider what other conditions cannabis might help. And there's a new uh, clinical trial being done in New York at Montefiore Medical Center. Um, and it's going to examine the effect of cannabis compounds called canna, cannabidivarin, known as CD, CBDV, on irritability and repetitive behaviors in children with, uh, with aut- autism spectrum disorder. 
So they're saying it's non-psychoactive, does not cause a high. Um, and it's really cool to see this because there's a lot of kids that are on the spectrum. I have some nephews of mine that are on the spectrum as well, and they give them all sorts of medications. Um, so it'd be cool to see if they can come up with something good like this. Um, yeah, it's cool because the you know they found a while ago that epilepsy could be treated with you know the the CBD and and hemp, but now they're they're finally putting it together too that you know, it's, it's a neurological disorder and that's so is autism and that the two of them, they share many similarities in behavioral symptoms. So if it works for one, maybe it'll work for the other. Well, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, a lot of times they'll give them uh, Adderall to help, which you think it's going to speed them up, but it actually helps them focus and calm down. So if this could be something to, they're, they're saying it has, they're studying some electro, Abnormal electroactivity um, is what they hit on to prevent um, people from having seizures. But they're saying that um, anticonvulsants that decrease the electrical activity or spikes in some of the disruptive behaviors or or irritability uh, may actually get better from the from the treatment as well. So, yeah, and you know we've talked about it, and I've ranted about it. I think almost every episode, the fact that they keep this illegal. And they're not letting scientists study it is absolutely criminal. Yeah. When you look at our politicians, how many of them are doctors? How many of them have any sort of medical history or medical training, empathy towards others? Most of them are lawyers. Now, I'm sure we have plenty of listeners who are lawyers, and I'm sure you're all wonderful, kind people who just seek justice and the truth. But how many of these people are really just trying to? understand the law enough to break the rules to get themselves ahead. And that's a big reason why this stuff is illegal and has been illegal for as long as it has, because the folks who are making the rules have benefited financially from it being illegal. So it's, it's just infuriating that that people who do need help and who could benefit from this are not because of greed and arrogance. Yeah. I think the next big thing uh, that we're going to hear more and more about, and I know there's already a bunch of pages on the internet about it. We're going to have to keep track of what comes on the ballot for 2020 for marijuana. Even 20, well, 2019, I don't know what's out there, but I know 2020 is probably going to be a big year. Yeah. I really haven't heard too much about 2020. I know. Yeah. Obviously, stupid New Jersey couldn't make it happen. New York couldn't make it happen. Pennsylvania is trying to make it happen. Well, I heard a lot of stories of tactics um, where they're speculating that Republicans and or Democrats are thinking about, depending on which way it goes, of putting marijuana um, votes or legalization of some sort on ballots to try to drive voters to get out to the polls. Because they think that that would get people out to the polls more than just voting for the president. So, oh yeah, we'll have to see. I'm sure that's uh, going to be a tactic. Um, it, it should be a tactic to get money into your state. Because I tell you what, if you're not getting it, you're going to lose it. Going to go out to Barbuda and hang out with Mike Tyson and smoke a <laughs> spliff. Is what's going to happen? That's About right. Millions of billions of dollars are going to go out to Iron Mike, the champ. <laughs> I wonder if he fought today, if he could whoop a bunch of ass. He probably 
couldn't. I'm, I'm thinking he could whoop a bunch of wholesale ass. What do you think? It depends. It depends what level are we looking at here. I think he's like real, like trying to get like against professionals. Well, I'm thinking maybe he can't take out the top 10 professionals, but he could probably take out below that. We maybe. think maybe when he was yeah. on Rogan, he was talking about how he doesn't even train anymore. Like he doesn't want anything to do with that because when he does, he could get, he feels the demon coming back. He gets psyched. Yeah. He's trying to, to not have that feeling anymore to, to keep that at bay. Tries to keep, Smoking and keep him at bay, right? Yeah. Man, that's cool. I will eat your children. Man, he was an animal. Oh, he was the best. I wonder if in his prime, if he if he decided to switch from boxing to UFC, I wonder how he would have done. Probably would have been an animal. He probably would have, yeah. Yeah, and for, that wasn't wasn't an option back then, but he was just I think they were doing it in Mexico, like right after the chicken fights. That's all that was allowed. Yeah. They didn't allow it. In the, it was banned in the country, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it really evolved and changed a lot, too, from the early ones to to now. Yeah. It's, yeah, that, that was the whole point of it. It was trying to see, you know, they were trying to see what martial arts, like what what martial art was the most, what was the best one? You know, what one could actually... Open martial arts, right? Who can beat who? Yeah, because like, is it... Because you'd always debate it. Well, could a wrestler beat a boxer? Could a boxer beat a jujitsu artist? You know, is right. karate versus kung fu? Like, everyone would, would brag about how their discipline is the, the best one, the one that's the most... Would work best in a fight. And until the UFC came around, they really didn't know. Yeah, and then a lot of the uh, a lot of competitions were set up of, you know, jujitsu versus jujitsu. It was all jujitsu or all taekwondo or whatever against each other, and it was all points and stuff. So you really didn't have a well. You scored a point. It doesn't mean you're going to win the fight. So there's a lot of debate, and now I think uh, gets settled, like you said, settled in the octagon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty much seen that you know jujitsu and wrestling seem to be the the ones that are the most valuable. Yeah. I watched a match on, uh, was it Monday night on, I think Fox has it on. And, um, isn't it all on ESPN now? All the UFC stuff. Or maybe it was an whatever it was, but it was like, a it was another set of matches. And there's these two guys that were just, they were boxing. They're basically just boxing. They didn't even want to wrestle. So, we'll, uh, this will be interesting to see if anyone's trying to legalize it in 2019. They're saying, I just did a quick search and it looks like it's more 2020, the big push. Yeah. And who knows? You know, Trump could come out and right before the election be like, totally legalizing it. Everyone, get your spliffs, get high. That, Go vote for me. That's, Amazing. How do you turn the ballot? You fucking legalize weed the day before the election. I'm the greenest before. president and the most orange, <laughs> tremendous <Come on>. president. <laughs> he gives the announcement and then he lights up a spliff. Boom. Totally having, squeefing it, me and Pence. <laughs> taking rips here off this bong. I'm smoking marijuana in the White House right now. Bong oh, Force One. Dirty new plane. Bong Force One. <laughs> Pumping in the weed. <laughs> Believe oh, me. No. Believe me. <laughs> you know, the investigations that we spurred off of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's bad now. Damn. <laughs> I'm sh- Trump weed available for sale tomorrow morning. Trumpweed.com. <laughs> Presidentialweed.com. <laughs> it is the cushiest of all cush. <laughs> That's why he wants to buy Greenland, man. He wants to make it a farm. I assure you. So cush. <laughs> so cush. Let's go to Ski News. 
First up, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. I know we have in this 90 degree weather today. Up to four feet. Four feet of snow has fallen in Montana this week. Unprecedented. Huge. Bigliest winter storm in September ever. Bigly. Emergency conditions were declared after an intense winter storm dumped record amounts of snow along with a life-threatening combination of bitter cold and stiff winds. In the town of Browning, 48 inches of snow fell from Friday to Sunday, the National Weather Service says. Wow. Despite coming in late September, the 19.3 inches of snow that just fell over two days in Great Falls is second to only one other two-day total in the city in any month. The only time the city recorded more snow in two days was during a winter storm more than 10 years ago. Damn. Idaho bore the brunt of the strong winter storm that brought snow across the northern Rocky Mountains and parts of Idaho and Washington. Winds were gusting at 30 to 35 miles per hour late Sunday in hard-hit areas such as Browning, according to meteorologist Megan Siner of the NWS office in Great Falls, who says the massive snowfall and strong winds created drifts almost as high as some houses in that area. Whoa. In September. Damn. Crazy. You know, somebody's out on vacation like, oh, it's so nice out here. Oh, there's a storm coming. And then they Visiting get snowed Yellowstone, in. Yellowstone, other motorcycles probably going out to like Sturgis. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Beautiful time of year to be out on a, on a bike. Perfect. Nope. Damn. Damn. Maybe they're showing the Tetons too, the uh, Teton Pass going right by Jackson and it was plenty of snow on there this morning. Dumped on, huh? They didn't get quite as dumped on, but they still had significant snow. Wow. That's pretty cool. So awesome. So we'll see what the next couple of weeks bring. And Hey, is this going to be a solid base or is this going to be a freak one shot deal that melts away and makes us wait till the next big dump comes in? <laughs> cool. So awesome. All right, next up we have the man behind the map. So we talked about this guy before, um, I believe earlier in the year when he got uh, inducted to, I think it was like a Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. Um, so for 30 years, James uh, Nehues um, has been every skier's best friend. So he's painted trail maps for ski resorts at over 200 ski areas all over the world, including at least 45 ranked in the 2017 Ski Magazine Resort Guide. So um, I got to say, ski maps are pretty beautiful if you look at them. They don't represent exactly what's on the mountain, but they give you an idea of where to go. Um, and it does take a little bit of art cause you got to fit it into a map that you can fold up and fit into your pocket. So it's a pretty cool idea. Um, and it's something that's going to have to keep being done, but, uh, it's pretty neat. He gets to paint all these little, like, uh, little Bob Ross of ski maps, you know? Yeah. I remember looking, I think we looked it up like how he got the gig in the first place. But it's such a it's such a bizarre thing, you know. You think with the technology we have now, it would just be a matter of taking a photo and, you know, superimposing some information. But yeah, there's just something about the way these maps look, these hand drawn beautiful maps, that it would. I think there'd be like a revolt almost if people if they did go that way and did have a more accurate photographic version of it. Yeah. So 
anyway, I guess he, he, you know, they're coming out with this because he came out with that new coffee table book, Selblich's life, life's work of painting ski area trail maps. So, um, probably a big ass book. So it's called the man behind the maps, a self-published book. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. It's a crowd. So, it was a kickstart. It was a, okay. So according to Nihus, the book's Kickstarter page became the top art illustration project in the crowdfunding's website history. So I guess they crowdfunded it. Yeah, I remember that. I think it was late last year when they first did that, and now it's just available for sale if you want to pick it up. I'm looking at my my wall here with all my my you know ski trail maps here. And I'm seeing Whistler Blackcomb. His name is on there. Telluride. His name is on there. Nice. I think Jackson looks like that's his too. There's some that aren't though. And there's, there's something you can almost tell when they're not his, there's just something a little, I don't know if it's colder or, uh, you know, there's other artists that are like, you know, screw it. I got beat out by James again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody's like, when is he going to retire? I want to capture all the uh, the ski. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I could paint it better. Well, that's something like if you've ever looked at the New York subway maps, they change them every couple of years. Well, every, mm-hmm. it depends. There's, there's blocks of time when, like, I forget how, like, there was a famous one they did back in the 70s, like a famous designer, graphic designer did it. I think it was Massimo Vanelli. And it was very, like very clinical and he did things in a way that it was nowhere near to scale, but it was beautiful. Like it looked really nice. And now like you look at them, I mean, they, they like Manhattan is way wider in those maps than it is in real life, but it makes sense because there's so many different North South subway lines. You have to be able to see where they are and you need more real estate in the map. And it's almost like if someone did come in with a totally different style or if you, you were able to get three or four different designers to come in and give you their pitches, how the map should look like, I'm sure you would have someone who had a very clean version, someone who had like a minimalist, barely like any sort of shape or texture or lines like that version too. Pretty cool. Yeah. Like it's just very, it's very interpretive. And the way he does it, though, is it's again, it's realistic, but it's not it's still more artistic than realistic. Right, right. Which gives it a beautiful feel. And they actually show the behind the scenes. He used to take uh, photographs from the air, like in airplanes, just to get, you know, the detail that he wanted representing in the in the maps. And they said he would extensively take notes and, and take photographs so that he would have enough material to actually render these maps correctly. I'm like, that's pretty neat. This is before Google. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Seriously. Before Google, Pre-Google Earth, man. You They're know? so cool because, again, it's like just enough detail. It's not, yeah, not a perfect representation, but it's just enough detail to give it that beautiful artistic look, but also be informative. Yeah. This book looks pretty big. So it looks like it opens up and you got two pages of one map on each page. Uh Nearly 200 ski maps. So if you're missing a ski map, you might want to get one of these. Yeah, right. Um, the sign book is already sold out and you can pre-order it says for uh, 85 bucks. Not bad. We should put that on our Christmas list for people if they want to get us. 
Gonna, ha- gonna have to put it on our uh, our list. My problem is I have a little terrorist toddler who would probably just rip pages out and lick them and bite the corner. So I have to kind of keep <laughs> it sequestered for a couple of years. Carl in color in all the different uh, ski runs and different colors. Yeah, he just wouldn't even know it. He just dump crap all top on top of it again and like two pages and rip them out. And then look at you like what 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 are you getting mad at me for? That's the funny thing about a toddler. It's just imagine living your life and not understanding what a consequence was. That's right. It's just like like if you drove through and ignored stop signs and traffic lights and looked like at people if they were honking at you or hitting you like what this was your fault. Yeah, well, that's a lot of douchebags out there today. It's true. <laughs> they drive like toddlers. This is very true. This is <laughs> that's just what life is as a toddler. It's just you don't understand consequences. That's right. They look at you like, what it's the hell's hysterical. wrong with you? Yeah. That's funny. All right. Next up, the Indie Pass expands coalition to 44 independent resorts. Hmm. We always talk about the Epic Pass and the Icon Pass. But you know what? There's a cool new pass out there, the Indie Pass. And we've talked about it over the last couple of months. So they announced this week that their pass, just $199 88 days of skiing at more resorts than any other pass in North America. Organizers of the Indy Pass announced that since launching in August, 10 new resorts have joined the coalition of independent resorts. Pass holders received two days at 44 resorts for a total of 88 days of skiing for just $199. The pass now offers more resorts in North America than any other multi-mountain pass. Boom. Take that, Epic Pass. So the new ones they've added are Sunrise Park, Arizona, Mohawk Mountain, Connecticut, Caber Fay Peaks in Michigan, Shanty Creek Resorts, Michigan, Swiss Valley, Michigan, Cannonburg, Michigan, Powder Ridge, Minnesota, Terry Peak, South Dakota, Shawnee Mountain, Pennsylvania, Obergatlinburg, Tennessee. Nice. Now this would be a really cool winter projects, you know, a, a podcast, not even an, not really an episode, just a whole season or trying to get all these resorts or even a movie, you know, like if you were uh, a filmmaker, like our friends, like the Alba venture folks, if you were like, we bought the Indie pass this year, we are just going to bounce around and hit all of these resorts or, you know, a significant number of them and get a couple yeah. days at each. Like that There's would be some really a- good gems in here too. I mean, magic's on there. Uh, Bolton Valley. We were just talking to one of our friends about that, who we'll talk about. You'll find out later on the podcast. Main topic. Um, but yeah, Bolton Valley's on there and magic's on there. Greek peak. I remember when I was up in Buffalo, that was a big, uh, people would talk about that one. Shawnee is a great place to learn how to ski. Suicide Six, we've talked about before. You know, that's all the East Coast. And there's a lot of stuff like California has some pretty legit ones in this. And it's cool. You go to the website and it's broken out by all the different regions. So you have West, you have the East, and you have Central. And some of the ones in the Western resorts, you have Castle Mountain in Alberta, Hoodoo, Oregon, Lost Trail Powder Mountain in Connor, Montana. Red Lodge Mountain, Mount Shasta in California. It's kind of cool. I like this pass. 199 bucks is nothing. 
It really is. I mean, very reasonable. Honestly, at a lot of resorts, it's that's like two days of skiing. Yeah. You know, I mean, this Castle Mountain in Alberta has almost 3,000 feet of vertical. Damn. 94 trails, six lifts. That sounds pretty awesome. That does sound pretty good. Where is it? Eagle Crest in Alaska, if you can get to Alaska, Juno. Yeah. How bad do you want it? That's right. You want to be able to say you, you did Alaska. That's how you do it. Cataluchi in North Carolina. Ooh-wee, Cataluchi. Right. Where is that? Maggie Valley. Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg's not on there. Damn it. If it was no, on there. Ober Gatlinburg. Ober Gatlinburg. Is that? I just added that. Yeah. Is that? Pat's Peak in New Hampshire. Gatlinburg. Ober Gatlinburg. Amusement park and ski area. Oh, I got to do Gatlinburg this year. Urban ski weekend. I think I might do it. It's February. February, mid-February. It sure is. I'm going to be there. Write to us if you're going, because I want to see if I could room with somebody. Yeah, I seriously want to go. That'd be a lot of fun. Dude, let's do it. Come on down. We'll go meet in Gatlinburg. And then we'll go out to uh, take a side trip to like Nashville or something. That'd be fun. I never spend like any time in like the South. Well, a guy I work with, he's been in, um, he well, he's traveled around. I think he's, he grew up in Jersey or New York for part of his life. Then came down here and he said Gatlinburg is actually pretty nice. Uh, it's in the Smoke Mountains and it's like, like a decent little town with like a lot of attractions around. I've heard that. Yeah. I've got a uh, couple degrees away family members. They've moved down there and they live on like a bluff down in Tennessee and that's like the big, the big resort town by them. Well, I see here Pigeon Forge is not too far from there, and that's where Dollywood is. Pigeon Forge is where Urban Ski Weekend happens. Boom! Wow, that's right next to Dollywood. January thirty first through February third, twenty twenty. Booyah! Calling all city girls, fraternities, bucket listers, city boys, Haitians, Jamaicans, birthday crews, and party people. Oh, I see Ober Gatlinburg. It's right in the heart of Gatlinburg. And then there's Pigeon Forge. Is there a ski area in Pigeon Forge? There must be. Must be. If they have a gem mine. Weekend is going. They have a Pigeon Forge gem mine. Ooh. They have a top jump trampoline and extreme arena. Smoke Mountain Alpine Center. Alpine Coaster, not center. Damn. I wonder if Dollywood owns a ski resort too. (laughs) All right, we're going to have to look more into this. Gatlinburg is, is on the... It's on my list right now. It's on, on my list. radar. So, yeah, this looks pretty cool. All right. Last up. Last up, there's an original film. It's on... Um, what was this on? Vimeo. Vimeo, yeah. And uh, Unofficial Networks posted it. It's um, a film. I guess it's like an indie film. Uh, called Another Way, an original film about being a Vermonter. Um, and it was a pretty cool film. Did you watch it, Brian? You know what? I kind of perused... I went through it and kind of bounced around in there. It wasn't like, a, you know, one of these sexy, like doing these crazy jumps and all this stuff. It was just talking about what it is to 
be living in Vermont about this, this guy that's uh, a really good skier that had a, um, he actually went through a, a life-changing event. He got a, a bad injury and then he decided he, he wanted to move and he moved to Vermont and he just kind of settled in. And he's like, one of the big things I got out of, it, I was watching this afternoon. He says like, so he does a lot of like woodworking. He wants to, you know, he does butchering like, and he's, connecting with the people in the town. And he says, one of the big things he sees is there's not a lot of young people that have older people as their friends where they pass down some of what they know to the younger people. And it's, it's becoming, it's kind of a wealth of information. And I know a lot of young people don't want to look at that, but it's a wealth of information that is just dying off. And we're, you know, if we don't take advantage to learn these things that they can pass on to us, you, you're kind of going to lose that in our society. Um, it's kind of like, you know, your dad's a butcher. He taught, he taught you how to do, you know, butchering, like what, what it is, like, you know, how to, how to make things and everything and how, you know, that's not getting passed down the way it used to, you know, my dad did carpet he, you know, taught me everything about it. Like it, it doesn't get passed down often. So you wonder at what point are we going to have a problem where that those skills are being lost, you know? Oh yeah. And that's, that's something that, you know, some people have talked about it and I think it really needs to become a little more prominent is how everybody thinks that they have to go to college. Yeah. When of course, you know, that's because they want to get you in debt 200 to $500,000. We'll give you a certification on doing this and doesn't mean you ever did it before, but you got a certification now. Yeah. You know, a lot of people just feel like that's what they have to do. It's been yeah. kind of drilled in people's heads when really most people might be better off with a trade. You know, if you want to, again, learn how to be a butcher, learn how to be a plumber, learn how to be an electrician, Dude, learn, how to, I, learn how to make uh, furniture out of wood. I mean, I, the fact that you can actually do something with your hands at the end of the day, have something physical to show for it. That is, that's something that, yeah, like you said, we're losing that tradition. We're losing yeah. that craft. And I know, you know, as some, as a father now, like one of the things I always think about is what can I pass down to my kid? What skills am I going to teach him? Right. And it, it, the fact that I don't really know how to do much stuff, I still change my goddamn oil though. Hey, that's you learn thing. it and you learn the stuff. I mean, you're still doing, you're still learning, you know? It's I was trying like, to fix my washing machine. I know how to tune my skis now. I made an Adirondack chair. Like, like the stuff that when I was a kid, I thought was dumb and lame and old people stuff <laughs> is the stuff now that I'm so glad I learned or that I want to get better at and learn more about because it's tactile and it's real and something that you can pass down like a, a certain skill and ability. And it is really important. And a movie like this really puts an exclamation point on that. And he talks about people that like, you know, he moved to Vermont and it's just a different lifestyle. Like they're, they're okay with being Vermonters and doing what they have to do and, and, you know, making a life for themselves rather than living the, the fast life of, I have to get better and do this more extreme thing and do, you know, make more money and work more hours. And, you know, how many stories do you hear about people from the big city getting burnt out and then they, they go off somewhere and they run a bed and breakfast. So they become a farmer or something, you know, I mean, there, there's a certain, there's a certain humbleness and, and stability. And I don't know what it is, but a getting, getting a sense of like your community and the environment and everything. Like when, when you do stuff like that, dude, I am on the boat every day with those people those people who've gone to be going to wall street for 30 years, 40 years. And I see so many of them every morning. 
they're just reading the sports section or they're on their phones buying shit. It's not like it's a passion for them. You know, you just, you get stuck in that rut. It's like, well, I'm making 250 grand now, you know, we're going to Disney world again and I can go buy a new car. And, and they, it's almost like they have to justify that existence by buying a bunch of dumb shit or doing a bunch of things or wearing some sort of certain fancy clothes or shoes or whatever. But I never, I don't really see people looking happy and excited about doing what they're doing. And it's something that I've, it's like an existential crisis I've had the last couple of years. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't belong in that sort of environment. I feel like I belong in the mountains. I feel like I should be there. And like, I, I feel so much more alive and connected and valuable in society and together with other like-minded people than I do anywhere in a cityscape. And you look at a lot of city folks, again, sound like a total goddamn city folk, city folk, concrete walker from the big city. I, you know, I talk to friends who do live in cities and you know, a lot of them are like, do you say, Hey city boy, what you doing? Yeah. Like, think, think about like the folks you, that you know, and you speak to, and there's like a, such an arrogance, the people who make a lot of money, but yet they can't do a single thing for themselves. Like, you know, people who are like, Oh, I have my, I have my groceries delivered. I have a cleaning person. I have this, I have this, so I can have more time working. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm an analyst. I'm a programmer. I manage this, this and this. I'm like, none of that really matters. Like you didn't really, there's nothing tactile you've done. There's no, I'm like, dude, you got no lights in your bedroom because you can't fix a goddamn light. There's no incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and it's something that, you know, when you're younger and you want to chase money, that's great. You know, you do that for a little while, but for that to be your ultimate pursuit is just a pile of money, which really is just a bunch of numbers in your bank account. Is, is that really so noble instead of someone who actually, yeah, is like doing some butchering or, you know, building furniture or doing something tactile and real. That's the that, helplessness too. Like from some people, like totally, that, exactly. They can't cook for themselves. They can't clean for themselves. You've never butchered a chicken. Like <laughs> you never eaten dark meat. You've always eaten chicken bread. Like it's just weird stuff. Like I hear some people, I don't know. Yeah, I, I used to call a, it was a, a guy that wasn't licensed, but a handyman to do stuff like, yeah, there's these light bulbs to change and I don't know how to change them. Like, so you don't want to try, I guess you just gave up. You just, that's it. I can't get up there and look, I'm just going to give up on changing these fluorescent bulbs because they look different. Yeah. You know? I mean, everything's on YouTube now. They got people, I follow it's, everything on YouTube. But isn't that so funny though? Like the people who are the most arrogant, who make the most money have the least, like the least amount of real life skills. Yeah. On a deserted island, they would die. Let's put it that Hysterical, yeah. Like, I don't know. There's no stores here to go buy food. Yeah, dummy. You got to go get it yourself. Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of cool. This this kind of brought that to light. And uh, dude's just skiing every day. He likes it. You know, ski as much as he can, you know, in the, in the winter. Skiing. Yeah, it's beautiful. So yeah, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Another way, a Verb Cabin original film. We're going to roll into our main topic now. And... We have an interview this week. We're chatting with our pal, Matt Pepin. We've had him on the show before. We've met him in person up in Boston at the Ski and Snowboard Expo. He is the head of sports at the Boston Globe. He has a newsletter called It's All Downhill, which he puts out usually weekly, I think, during the ski season. Had a bit of a hiatus here in the summer. 
We yeah. had a great time talking with him. We're going to see him in a few weeks at the Boston show again, hopefully going to hang out with him. So here is our interview with our pal, Matt Pepin. If you want more information about him at Matt Pep 15 on Twitter, and we'll have a link to his newsletter. It's all downhill in the show notes. So we hope you enjoy it, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me again, man. This is great. Join you guys. Always, uh, always good to talk with you guys. Yeah, it's been a while. I know, you know, you just had your latest issue of your newsletter. It's all downhill. It just came out. Was it yeah. last week or this week? Yeah, last Friday. Last Friday. And it had been a while since you put one out. Yeah. March, March 8th. Was that what you said in there? Yeah, yeah. March 8th was the last one because, um, oh my God, what a busy year between getting promoted here to the Red Sox winning the World Series and the Patriots winning the winning the um Super Bowl and the Bruins going all the way to game seven of the Stanley Cup. We had just a whole lot of other things happen. But right around then, right before the last one was sent, one of our reporters passed away in Florida at spring training. And so that was, you know, just just a really difficult time for all of us. So, you know, my skiing kind of fell off the way and I had to do a lot of, you know, trying to replace people here at the office and just, you know, it was just a real difficult time for all of us. This guy with Nick Cafardo was beloved. I mean, everybody loved working with him. And so just, you know, had a health problem that cropped up at spring training one day, died, died doing what he loved, but, uh, we still, you know, yeah, I saw, I remember you posting that and, you know, I think retweeting it and like, like, it's weird you say liking it, but yeah, you're kind of acknowledging it and it's, did you do everything remote or did you have to travel a little bit? We had other people from our staff. We have 18 sports writers. So we had other people have to like shift off of what they were doing and go down there. And because normally Nick would have spent the whole, all of February and all of March down there and he died on like February 22nd. And so, um, so we had to cover all the rest of spring training and then of course the season, cause you know, he was involved in all that too. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of, a lot of shuffling and, and juggling or things around at a time when everyone was, you know, really rocked by that news. He was only, I think he was only 65. So. Oof. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, it's terrible. Yeah. And now I remember we first chatted with you last year and you were, you know, you just gotten promoted. One of the things mm-hmm. we asked you was, Hey, does this mean more skiing or less skiing? Yeah. And I think we, I think you kind of had an idea that it would mean less skiing. And I think yeah. you know, just you're hopeful, I think. Yeah, I was hopeful. I think that it, um, I knew it would have an impact, but I did do certain things that like, you know, I made sure I got, I got some skiing in. like there was, you know, up here in the Northeast, it was a great, great early part of the season all through toward the end of November. One report after the other was just like building, building, building about how great the conditions were for so early. So finally, I was just like, you know what? I got to just take a day off and just zoom up to Vermont. So I went up to Mount Snow by myself for a day. Nice. And that was a blast. I love doing that kind of stuff. You know, I can get up early. I don't have to wait for anybody. I can jump in the car and leave when I'm ready to go. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And then. In fact, the day before the day before Nick died, I was actually on a ski trip with my daughter. It was her vacation week, and we purposely planned it. And we were worried about the weather that day, and we would have had to push it to the next day, which you know that would have blown up for me if if I had gotten that call when I was on the slopes, but it didn't. So you know, so I got like six days in last year, which was which was decent, but a far cry from previous years. 
I tell you though, I'm a big fan of like skiing by yourself. I used to go, I haven't done it in a few years, but I used to go one day a year, every year I'd go by myself. And just like you said, you don't have to wait on anybody. You don't have have to hear anybody complaining, yep. wait up for anything. You just do whatever the hell you want. You, you pick you a know? place you want to eat. <laughs> exactly. Don't the demons also creep in your head when you do that though? You're like, you know, I could just leave everybody and just go move out to like Whitefish, Montana. And like, this could be my life. Well, like I get those, about that, you know, those thoughts creep in my head whenever I have those great by myself days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not bad to, ha- to consider that because you weigh it and then, and then you return home, you know? Yes. Right. This, this time. Yeah. This time. <laughs> this time right. One right. of my, one of my favorite, uh, and I, I've been talking a lot about this the past week. One of my favorite by myself ski days was it was 2017. It was up at Killington. It was March. So you think March things are warming up. It was so cold. I think it got to like maybe 10 degrees. And that was the day I got frostbite. Oh, and no. it was one of those, the, the first run up the hill, I went up snowshed and I, uh, I usually leave my boots unbuckled till I get to the top. So I went and I went to go buckle them and I had a camel back on. And I did not have the camelback bladder properly closed. So when I bent down to buckle my boots, all the water just poured down the front of me uh, and just instantly froze. Oh, man. Instantly. And That's I had, wonderful. I'm like, and I take my glove off to buckle my boots. I'm like, dude, I have to go inside already. I'm frigid. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of had to time it every 20 minutes, half hour. You go inside, you warm up. 10 minutes. You go, go in there. Out. You go in at that point. Nobody's bitching at you. Like, oh, let's do one more run. Two like, it was jammed up and every lodge was just jammed with people because it was so cold. But I, it was by, so, you know, kept doing that, kept doing that by two 30. I'm like, wow, I'm like, what a great day. I, I probably should start wrapping it up soon. I'm like, whoa, I can't feel my feet at all. <laughs> Back to the condo, you know, take the boots off feet by the fire. I'm like, my foot is pretty much in the fire and I yeah. can't feel my toes. So, oh, but oh, what a great day. The good it con- off. conditions were fantastic. Hey, you know, a little, you take aspirin. Toe. If you have, what they say is if you have frostbite, aspirin, because it keeps the blood thinner and it keeps it flowing. So you don't get any, any sort of a uh, falling offness. Yeah. Yeah. That so makes Matt. sense. So Matt, so what's, um, what's been going on now? So you got your new newsletter out. How yeah, do people yeah. get, how, how do you want to send people there? What's the best way to, for them to get to it if they haven't subscribed yet? You know, I'll have to put it back on my, uh, I'll put it back on my Twitter profile. I, um, I had taken it off because I felt bad about not being able to do much. You know, the, like I said, the Bruins were like, you know, from the end of April all the way into, the, you know, July, whatever, I mean, June, whatever it was. And it was just a lot. And then I went on a pretty, you know, I did get away for like an 18 day vacation, which was really nice. Nice. But, um, but I felt bad about not sending any newsletters. So I didn't want people to sign up for something they weren't going to get. So I took it off of there. But I, I can do that, or I can send it to you if you want to put it in the show notes for the link. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we um we try to send it out every couple of weeks too. Just keep yeah, keep reminding people. Um, yeah, and you you can be followed at at Matt Matt Pep fifteen on Twitter. Right. Uh, do you do any other socials, or is that the one you kind of focus on? I mostly focus on that for a public facing, uh, you know, public facing social media. I have Instagram, but I don't really use it that much. I just kind of I just kind of look at what other people post on Instagram. Um, and Facebook, I keep strictly private, you know, just for, just for people I, you know, I know and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Follow at Matt Pep 15 on Twitter and, uh, yeah, we'll have the link in the show notes too. So yeah, the latest issue came out or the, of the newsletter and have you started making your plans now for your, 
your yep. upcoming season. Now, you know, last year was tough. You know, you had work was busy. You had the promotion, but I guess you kind of got a lot of the things in place now. Right. So that yeah, can, I feel like really some myself, and knowing, you know, knowing all the people I'm in charge of, I feel a lot more comfortable. I just brought, I'm, I'm finally at full staff. I just brought on a new assistant and uh, a couple of other people onto our staff. So we're at full staffing capacity and, I feel pretty good about it. And so I, you know, I pitched a couple of stories for um, the Globe's annual snow sports section. It's called Chill. And it comes out right before the Boston Ski Show. So I'm going to, I've already started working on a couple of those. One of them is going to be, um, it's going to be New England's best ski trails as rated by New England's best skiers. And nice. snowboarders too. And so I have a, a pretty long list of people I've reached out to to ask them for input for this, you know, and, and the criteria is they have to, you know, either live here or be from here. I'm going to try and include Michaela Schifrin because she uh, uh, she has family here. And also, you know, she was a Burke Academy grad up in Vermont. And that's where she did a lot of her early race training. So she's a decent of, skier. Yeah, we kind of adopt her as a uh, we kind of adopt her as a New Englander, you know, in name only or whatever. So, you know, a good list of uh, people, not just, not just racers or competitive skiers, but, you know, other people who are, who are famous for one reason or another, you know, like locally, they, maybe they own a mountain or maybe they're just, you know, the kind of people who have been involved in the business for a long time. You know, like one of the people I reached out to was um, Jack Edwards, who's uh, the Bruins play-by-play guy on New England sports network. And he calls all the Bruins games avid avid skier who i always every anytime we are talking it's about skiing and you know not really hockey or sports at all it's just about that so so that one should be a lot of fun i was thinking about doing like a um a review of new england ski area websites i think that would be kind of fun i mean it's kind of like Ah, worlds colliding you know i obviously have worked in digital media for a long time so those kind of ideas. And, you know, I'll do some, I'll do some first person stuff too. I have some trips planned. My buddy and I just finalized our plan to uh, go on our annual trip. So this year is going to be Smuggler's Notch in Vermont. The Notch. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I've never been there. So I'm really trying to work on my bucket list. And uh, that's one that I can, I know I'll be able to check off because I'm already locked into a little getaway up there. Yeah. We now, are they part of any of the passes? Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But there was, but there was a great deal. You know, I always end up spending a lot of like late August and September surfing all around, looking for, looking for deals and what's available so that, um, you know, we have some options for my buddy and I to consider. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really notice much on their website. I, I think that they're, I think that they're pretty much independent. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know of any past deals or anything like that. Yeah, I'm just I'm hitting up their website right now and I don't see anything on yeah. there. So yeah, perhaps they are still independent. But it was a good deal. They have they have slopeside condos and they have like ski and stay packages, which is what I wanted, you know, and so that works for me. Nice. Yeah, me and Mario, we went there once. Now oh, this yeah. was this was the train wreck winter of 1516. Oh, horrible. And we were Conditions. up there before Christmas. Uh yeah, it was before the week before Christmas. And we that's kind of like how this whole podcast came about. I know we've talked about it before. Like that 2014-15 year was so great. We did like a whole week up at Killington just hanging out and decided like we should just talk about this kind of stuff on a podcast. So we repeated it thinking we'll have the same luck with snow in, in that 
week before Christmas. Yeah. And it was like the train wreck year. So we drove all the way up to, uh, we, we stayed in Killington. Then we did like a little side trip up to the Smugs in Burlington. And we got there and there was, I think, three trails open. Oh, man. We were like one of like six or eight people on the, on the mountain. Tops. Yeah. It was, it was bad. And then, so one thing you'll see when you go there, they have this, this lift and it's one of those like funky new England lifts where you kind of have to know when to get off. Otherwise the thing just kind of like spins back around <laughs> one of those old school ones. Yeah, sure. I know those. Uh, and we just kind of like both stayed on the lift, like way we didn't too pay long. Attention Cause we thought it was like a mid, you know, midpoint where you can get off. And we're like, Oh crap, this is the end. And by the time you realize it, you're already past the, you know, the exit point. So the guy laughs at you and, you know, right. yeah, yeah, luckily hey, he was just smoking pot and he's been there alone and yeah. no one else was waiting to get off. So it wasn't a big deal to back it up and let us pop off. And he's probably like, oh shit, here comes some people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jersey's here. I'm sure it happens all the time there though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, we only did it that one time, but now they have that, that, um, the only triple black diamond in new England, right? Yeah. I saw that on their map. Yeah. I've never been there. We were, you know, we were just eager to, like I said, find somewhere new and find some place that had that had good deals. And and uh, you know, when I first looked at the map, I thought, oh, we're going to drive right by Stowe on the way up there and on that on Route 108 or whatever it is. But then I come to find out, I, I was worried that driving by Stowe was going to get us all geeked up for like a big giant place like Stowe. Yeah. And uh, and we were going to be like, oh, and now we're only going to smugglers, but. Um, but when I looked at their map, you know, they have three different peaks and uh, it looks like more than enough stuff to keep us entertained. And I'm not too, too worried about the um, snow conditions because we're booked like absolutely in the dead of January, which is when I love to go anyway. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're going to have they're going to have something decent for us. Well, funniest thing is, I think I asked last year, um, I was out somewhere. I think I was buying beer or something and started talking to these guys. And I asked them, we were up by Killington and I asked him, I said, um, so where's like, where's like the, the legit place to go skiing around here? I think it was when I was driving from Burlington and, um, I said, is it, is it like Stowe or something like, Oh, they were like, Stowe, that's not a real mountain. That's like, that's a country club. Yeah. Yeah, Country club. They were like, that place sucks. They were all like, they were (laughs) going off on it. I was like, Whoa. So it's interesting. So you're better off at, at Smugs. I came to find out after I received my reservation confirmation that they have a little note at the bottom. It's like, oh, by the way, uh, make sure you look at a map before you come up here because you can't just go up Route 108 through Stowe because that road gets yes. closed in the winter. You got to go like all the way around. So Yeah, they closed that pass probably like November or so. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you can you can see it if you drive up to Stowe. Like it's if, you know, when you go there and you, you know, there's like each, the resort is on both sides of the road there. And if you kept going straight, you'd go through it. But yeah, that's when they shut that down. So right, you have right. to take the, uh, the, if you went all the way up there thinking you're going to go through and get to Smugs, you're, uh, you got an extra hour of driving that you didn't intend to do. Yeah, but right. the nice thing is you could stop at Alchemist and get a couple beers. Yeah. To, that's on know, the agenda. To make it up for it, which is good. Yeah. A lot of good breweries up there for sure. Oh, it's yeah. getting crazy how many it's funny how like I remember going to Alchemist in like 2012 and it was like the big deal then. It's like, yeah. oh, my God, that's before they had the uh, the flooding and they shut down their original Waterbury location. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like pff, Hetty Topper. Eh, it is what it is. Everyone gets it. Find out. Hetty Topper and Sip of Sunshine was like if you got your hands on it, it was like gold. It was like finding, you know, yeah, 
a rare find. And now it's like, it's a lot of places now. It's different. Right. During our Smugs trip that year, that was, we just, since we couldn't ski much, we turned into a beer adventure. So we yeah. just made sure we checked where all deliveries were and stopped. And now you can get Sip of Sunshine at Penn Station in New York. That's how times have changed. Yeah, yeah. You get it all over Massachusetts now, too. Yeah, they yeah. changed their distribution now. And it's just, it's almost like uh, getting Coors Light. It's yeah. just that easy. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> if but I know what you're talking about, about, uh, about Hetty Topper, because right around the time you were saying 2012, maybe 2011, I can remember people saying in the office, yeah, I'm going up there. I'm going to bring back, you know, some beer or whatever. And, uh, you know, you'd ask them to get you some. And then on the weekend that they're up there, you'd be texting them like, hey, did you get the stuff? You know, <laughs> it was like, you were, you know, it was like the guy was going up there to get you a bag of weed or something. <laughs> yep, that's yeah. true. Like, oh, man, sorry, I drank it all. It's like, yeah, right, oh, right. useless. Hey, here, sorry, they only gave me like one can. It's like, what, dude? Like they rationed it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> My first time at Stowe, I found one can at this little uh, little mini mart on that yeah. mountain road there. And then yeah. again, now they have their whole brewery there. It's just changed so much. going to Lawson's. Lawson's is, that's a nice, and right across like a, a tenth of a mile away is uh, Mad Taco, Mad right? Taco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard you guys talk about that place. Oh, and sometimes they have double sip on tap there. It's crazy. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, that double sip is really good if you can get your hands on that. Great tacos there. When I did the, um, when I did a newsletter all about like favorite dining places on the way to and from ski areas. Mad Taco came up over and over again. Many people oh, did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they have one in Montpellier now. So that, and I think that's fully built out. Uh, it started out as just like a little, a little one that they were trying to, you know, build up. And now I think they're it's all fully. So it's it's spread around. So now they yeah. have one up in what? Uh, what is that? Waitsville? I think Waterbury? it's Waitsfield or Warren. I think Waitsfield. Warren. Waitsville, and then they have the other one in uh, Montpellier, which mm-hmm. is nice. So depending on where you're going, you could drive through and. It's like right downtown. So, yeah. yeah you mentioned Stowe before. And like, I think that we just, there was an article last week, maybe two weeks ago, we were talking about it was like the best, like the most legit ski towns. Yeah. And they mentioned Stowe. And that seems like one of the ones that's, it's, it probably can be contentious. You know, if you're, I guess if you're affluent and you're an epic past person and you've got a house there, like I'm sure you love the town. And the town itself is so cool. It's beautiful. Yeah. Classic New England town, you know, a lot of the the places that have been there forever. But then it's like, I guess yeah. in the New England, like what else would you compare it to? Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, it's been so long since I've been there anyway. I kinda I, I wouldn't really know from from my memory. I, I don't think I've been there since like the early nineties. So Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, just because, you know, circumstances almost always kind of go against us for one reason or another for going that far up into Vermont, you know, because you can easily get to like Okemo or Killington or Pico or places like that. And and in New Hampshire, you could go to Loon or, um, you know, even Waterville Valley or Gunstock and be, you know, be a much quicker drive. So almost always I, I've I've gone to those places and and other places were like the were like the ones where we went for overnight trips. So it's hard to say really, you know, what would be the number one ski town in the New England area? Do you think? What is it? Like, what do you think in your estimation would be like the number one ski town? Hmm. I don't know. I really like Lincoln, New Hampshire for sure. You know, I think Lincoln's pretty cool. I think the area all around Killington is pretty cool. Yeah, probably. I think I think one of those two. I think Lincoln, New Hampshire is great. I'd love to have a house up there, but man, the, the real estate prices are skyrocketing mm. up there. But the way that they're building up Loon, and you can just drive, you know, 
not too far. You can be at Cannon, you can be at Bretton Woods, you can be at all those all those mountains over in and around the Mount Washington Valley. So <clears throat> I, I like that that place a lot. Yeah, I guess it's one of those weird things too, because you think about New England and skiing versus, you know, you go out to Colorado, you know, you go out there, you go, you got Breckenridge, Vale, Aspen, Telluride, those areas, you know, they're more, you know, set up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can live in Denver or you can live an hour and be in Breckenridge or a basin while in the in Northeast, it's kind of tough because, you know, your mountains, it's almost like you have to go further and further North to get to the, the best possible stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not like an hour from Boston, you're going to be at Jay peak. Right. Know, there isn't that particular mountain. So it's almost like you have to dedicate yourself to, you know, do I want to be, have a place local and make it easy to get to, or do I want to go to the best possible spot and commit myself to that four five, six, you know, depending on where you are, hour drive. Right. Right. Yeah. The driving, the driving for me is a huge part of it. So, you know, I generally tend to only do one or two overnight trips a year. And a lot of those are, are, you know, I, I really like to look for, if I'm staying there, I like to stay right on the mountain. So, you know, I like, I like places like Sunday river, which has a grand hotel, two grand hotels right at the base of different areas, you know, so you can walk right out and you're skiing and Sugarloaf is the same way. And, you know, obviously Killington and places like that are uh slope side accommodations so to me the town isn't quite as much of an importance as it is like sort of like the base area village you know like okimo has that nice jackson gore area with that that's a really nice base area and um i don't i mean i'm just judging by a map but it sure looks like the uh the the base village which is not sure which which peak of um smugglers it's at but that looks like a really nice base village with a lot of amenities and whatnot so that's kind of how i judge ski areas more more than the surrounding town you know yeah, yeah it makes a big difference little towns on the way like you know dover west dover vermont is really cool as you drive up to mount snow cool and, and those areas in that in that region you know yeah, even is it wilmington the one that's like right at the corner there of 100 yeah, yeah i guess it is yeah so yeah, you're still about 15 minutes out, but yeah, there's a lot of little shops and restaurants and bars yeah. and things you can do down there. And brewery I guess there? there's brewery. a, I think there's a brewery there and that's where, you know, a lot of people yeah. will stay if, if they, again, sometimes on the mountain costs a little bit more. So people would decide to stay off and they, you know, they've improved the transportation services there. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, Matt, like when you're actually on the mountain, it just, mm-hmm. it does feel, you feel more like engrossed in the scene. You know, yeah. you're, more, you're part of the mountain then. I just like the isolation too, you know, like the idea of like this, this sort of like contained community, you know, and, and the mountain is like, you know, it's got sort of like this pulse of the mountain, but then the businesses and whatnot have this whole other vibe. So I just, I just like that lifestyle. Like I love to, you know, have dinner and then just go wandering around for a little while with my buddies and that'll be, you know, that's really enjoyable. Maybe we walk up the up a little bit of the slope or something like that, or maybe we, you know, walk around and find a bar to have a, have a late night drink at or something. But, um, but to me, that's part of the, that's part of the charm of, of staying right there is just, you know, really never having to get in the car from the time you get there. And I like that, you know, park the car, go do your stuff. And then when it's time to go jump back in the car. Yeah. it's nice. I mean, it's like the opposite is when we went to uh, like snowbird, you're there and you don't have to drive anywhere, but there's really nothing to do. So you're just kind of trapped. It's almost like you're snowed right. in like the entire right. time you're there. 
It's weird. A little bit, yeah. But yeah. one of the greatest things, like I always try to take a couple of Mondays off during the ski season. Smart. And there is nothing to me better than a Sunday night dinner in a ski town because all the riffraff has gone back to Jersey and New York. <laughs> you know, you can, it's not crowded. It's a little more laid back. All the locals are out. Like, it's just, it's so nice. And that vibe and that feeling. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to be up tomorrow. First thing, getting tracks. Right. And you right. know, it's, it's going to be a third of, a third as crowded as it was the day before. You know, it's just, yeah. I, I love that so much. It's like my favorite thing in the world. That's what we do. We book, we book a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday deal. And it's even better. <laughs> it's almost, all, it's always awesome because, you know, great. not a whole lot of people there who are, um, getting in your way or whatever. It's certainly no, you know, a far cry from a weekend crowd. So we just love it. Cause we, you know, we'll get up and get first chair and then ski to the last one. And you know, when you're all done, you don't have to go anywhere. It's not like you're facing this three or four hour ride back to the city. That's great. It's a big difference. Yeah. All right. So now you mentioned a little bit earlier, the ski and snowboard expo. Yeah. So that's coming up. That's only what, uh, six weeks out maybe. Yeah. I think it's pushed back a little bit this year. Um, and I'm not sure why, 17, but um, 17, right? Probably because maybe because Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is late this year too. Yeah, Pretty late. Yeah, it's it's a little bit later. Um, I know I put it in the newsletter. I just can't remember because there's you know November fourteenth through seventeenth. Yeah, yeah, right. Fifteenth through seventh. Fourteen through seventeen. Yeah, fourteenth through seventeenth. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, and we've already we've already committed. We've got our uh, we got our names on the list. We got our hotel booked, so nice. we are in, and we're going right. to come up on the Thursday this time instead of Friday. So we have an extra day, That's to, cool. you know, to do some meetups and to hang out and to to take part in all the because you made it seem like a lot of the good stuff happened Thursday night and Friday afternoon, which like oh you guys are here now, but all the cool stuff already happened. <laughs> well, I can tell you for sure that. Um, Usually on a Thursday, the ski associations have little get-togethers for skiing media. And uh, last year I skipped them, but in the past they've been pretty good because they all have a representative come and, um, you know, they, they talk about what's new or the differences at their place. But it's great because you can just ask them any questions you want. You know, for you guys, you could you could line up, you could get six shows knocked out in two days up there <laughs> by uh, doing interviews yeah, like that. So, so they, they do do that. And then, and then, yeah, that first Friday is, um, is cool. There's, uh, you know, like the first people into the show tend to get, you know, a lot of, a lot of the best stuff. Everyone's got a lot of energy by the end of the show. I think, you know, the exhibitors, are, you know, yeah, we went, we, up. we went Sunday morning last year also. And yeah, people were just kind of just beaten down, packing up. Some people yeah. left Saturday night, you know, so yeah. it depends it's a, it's a fun thing. As you know, we met there last year, so hopefully we can get together for a beer again. That'd be great. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely. We'll definitely make it happen. And like I said, we're going to be up there early, so we'll have a little extra time. And I, I think we have smarter accommodations this time too. You know, oh, we had like a, right across the street. Where are we? Right. Still, it's not like last time where we had to drive and we were in like Saudi and it was just, it was a really nice, really nice condo that we stayed in, yep. but it was just kind of a bit off the beaten path. Sure. We learned our lesson last year. We had the worst Uber ride ever, which dumped us out at Trillium, but not the new Trillium, not the, new wow. the old one that didn't exist anymore. Wow, it was man. Pouring rain. And then the Uber driver's like, oh, I got another fare to pick up. So I can't, you know, take you back. And we were just drenched. And I walked all the way to the, um, 
I walked all the way to the train station after that night and I got drenched. I was, I was uh, on the train on the way home that night, but fun. fun anyway. This is the last year that that um, ski show is going to be in the Seaport Convention Center, though. Next year, it shifts downtown to the Heinz Convention Center. And wow. um, that's in the Back Bay area, kind of, sort of, like as you go toward Fenway Park. Okay. So just that okay. Just FYI, for the following year in 2020, it'll it'll move because I think last year, remember the guy I introduced you to, Bernie Weichsel, who's the yes. uh, yeah, he runs, he runs the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that whole Seaport Convention and Expo Center is going to be torn down to make a new high rise there because everything over in the Seaport is being built up. You know, glass high rises everywhere, and that all that real estate is like you know primo value. So wow. he had there was the, so he much construction going on last year. Yeah, like that was amazing. I don't know. I, you know, after being there, I was like, wow, this is a really nice area. And I was talking to some, you know, some folks that we know that are from the area. And they're like, dude, that used to be nothing. Used yeah. to be warehouses and just un, you know, unwanted kind of area. And then, you know, when you, once you, the city starts booming and they do look for anything then nearby to, to build up and, and that area really, well, benefited, I guess, from that. Totally. And now like, you know, like a like a like a fifty square foot plot of land will go for a million bucks. Wow! Yeah, I mean I'm just wow. making it up, but you know what I mean. It's just, it's primo real estate. Nuts. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Every little every little speck of ground is worth big dollars. Yeah. No, it was uh it was really fun, and yeah, I guess you you really don't know what to expect. You know, it's always funny when you go somewhere, especially in a city. You kind of picture in your head what you think it's going to be like, and it was nothing what I expected. It was like so much nicer and newer and like really yeah. really fun so yeah we're looking forward to going back and, and doing a little bit more because i felt like we were kind of a little frantic last year we didn't have a, a great plan and like i said we were kind of we were just winging it and we were rushing around it was, yeah. it was kind of we, we were sta- a little bit all over the place and we stayed a little too yeah. far away so we're trying to do a little more and you know hopefully meet up with some people and have some you know meet up with you again of course matt and yeah and have some drinks and you know just uh enjoy it more instead of being so frantic and I remember parking my car in that gar- the parking garage there being like, and going back and it was like, there's nobody here. I'm like, am I going to get my car back? I had no yeah. idea. I thought perhaps I would be stuck in there till Monday, but <laughs> lo and behold, there was no problem. Lo and yeah. behold. Lo and behold. Yeah. So that's coming up. So we're excited about that. Um, Always a good time. Yes. Now, did you make it to that crashed ice event at Fenway back in February? Uh, so I did not go to the event itself, but I did go a couple nights before they gave us a tour of everything. Oh, and, nice. uh, so I was, so I was up on top of the, the right field deck where all that started. And I was, um, and, and down at the base because it finished at home plate or where home plate normally is. Right. That was a pretty amazing thing. I mean, I remember a few years ago, they, uh, they did big air in that, in that same stadium. And right. that was pretty impressive, but this was even more so just because it was such an elaborate, it was like, you know, it was like putting a roller coaster inside Fenway park. And, um, it was such an elaborate setup and took a lot. And I don't think they got a tremendous response for it either. I don't think they sold a whole ton of tickets, but. Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. But, um, but it was interesting, you know, and now I saw that, um, you guys probably saw this too, that they're going to do big air, uh, in December, at SunTrust Park in Atlanta. That's going to be crazy. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you you posted it a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, I tweeted about it because um, I knew that the U.S. ski team was making an announcement, and I kind of put two and two together pretty early. I figured what was going to happen. Um, 
and yeah, and so they announced that they announced that at SunTrust Park that they were going to do a big air event there. They still had not figured out the snow problem. Like Tiger Shaw, the president of the U.S. Okay. Team, even said that he's like, eh, we haven't we haven't gotten there yet, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it all but out. You, shit, the, you know the um, the Winter Classic is going to be in Dallas at some point. So uh, yeah, I, I this year or next, I think it's this coming year. Then they Winter do it at uh, Dodgers. They did it at Dodger Stadium in like April, right. didn't they? Right. The Ducks and the Kings. So I mean, they can put ice anywhere, and and I figure they can they can make this work. But it will be nice. That's a beautiful stadium. I went there in June for a conference, and we went to a to an Atlanta Braves game, and I mean, absolutely awesome ballpark. So nice, great, a great venue to do something like this because they have all the infrastructure built around it with like shops. They actually have a craft brewery, some some brewery that's based in Athens, Georgia, and. Um, you know, lots, terrapin? lots of activities. It's really good. What'd you say? The Terrapin? Yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah, oh, the, nice. terrapin, the Terrapin Tap Room. That's what it was. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Very yeah. cool. It's so, December 20th through 22nd. So yeah, have to keep a lookout for that. Yeah. Yeah. That should be an interesting one. Any insight as to why they chose Atlanta? You know, I don't know. It's a, it's a really good question. I, I am not sure. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, big cities that they want to get, a f- you know, develop some fan base and get yeah. exposure. Cause I think when they did last year, when they were doing the crashed ice, they picked Fenway because it was just such a big area, kind of yeah. like what they started doing with the women's world cup up at Killington. You right. got that big Metro area and you just get a ton of, you know, a ton more people interested in the sport at least. Yeah. That's actually what you mentioned. You're, I think you're right on. I think that a lot of times they pick, you know, big and iconic venues as a way of elevating the sport because the novelty of where they're putting it on, it, you know, draws in the casual viewer who might be like, oh, what the hell's going on here? Right. You know, I mean, I remember when they did the America's Cup, they do the America's Cup Challenger Series and they started doing that right um, right between New York and New Jersey, yeah. right by Brookfield Place. And when I was working at Time, we were right there. And I was like, this is amazing because it was like, because you got the big cities there, everybody's crowded around and it's like a stadium setting for something like that. And it's just getting more people to be able to look at it. And I think they were going to Chicago, like all these big cities that they were going to have that just to get exposure. So it's good for the sport, you know, where, where you do things I think is really important in sports. And a lot of sports have been willing to go think a little bit outside the box. Like, you know, the U S ski team did, you know, stadium, stadium, big airs like they're doing, and then, you know, like to have the World Cup at Killington, like you were saying, Mario, was, um, I think, a great move because there was nothing on the East Coast in terms of like high level, high level ski racing. And actually, you know, I've been thinking about like a potential story the globe could do surrounding that would be, you know, so now I think we're four years into the World Cup being at Killington. And so I wonder if there really is any appreciable or, or quantifiable results from that like in terms of is ski school enrollment up or is is like ski racing school or or is like you know our ski racing programs enjoying what they wanted which was to increase the exposure and maybe attract you know a significant population base into a sport that they might not otherwise have done unless you know unless they heard about it through word of mouth as opposed to like the big media you know broadcasting and showing the world's best skiers at you know, a mountain, which is basically in your backyard. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Cause like 
anytime like I've been to Europe, you see posters of Michaela Schiffer all over the place. You come here, you see posters of football stars, baseball stars. It's different. You know, you hardly see her around. Um, and it, you're, you're very proud as an American to go overseas because you're like, hey, is an American icon. But it's weird. Back in America, you don't see that. So I also yeah. wonder if the Olympic programs um, hopefully get a boost from from events like this, too. You know, yeah. Support. Yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, it'd be interesting to, to like study like where people are from on like the ski team rosters over the years and how many. I mean, New England has certainly had its share of great ski racers, you know, Bodie Miller and Julie Parisienne and, and skiers like that have uh, have been, you know, famous on the U.S. ski team. But it would be interesting to see, you know, the overall numbers of where. American ski racers come from, you know, obviously it's going to be heavily skewed toward the West because of the length of the season and the size of the mountains out there and the quality of the snow, but, right. you know, but it's gotta, it's gotta increase. But even like, even like the big leagues, like you were saying, you know, you see football and baseball all over the U S but even those sports, they want to have an international reach. So they do things like what they did this summer, which was they had the Red Sox play the Yankees in in uh, London at yeah. London Stadium, or you know. So yeah. um, you know, did you get to go to that? What's that? Did you get to go to that? I did not, but I sent three people to it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that there in spirit? Right? My, job, my whole job now is to telling other people what to do. Yeah. How's that expense <laughs> report? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Got some questions on that one, but a lot of meat yeah. pies, right? Well, we're fortunate for the for the the four primary teams that we cover: the Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins, and Celtics. We have a pretty good travel budget for them. Yeah, so well, like all, do, that, um, all that postseason uh, activity that all the teams have too. Yeah, yeah, that's we actually account for one championship appearance every year in our budget. Look nice. at that, getting cocky like, now. I know, it's unbelievably arrogant, but. I now, think, you I think the cover... Nets beat reporters do that too in New York. Right. <laughs> womp, womp. Do, you, do you also cover the uh, the international soccer that they have at Fenway? Because they have one game every year, yeah. right? Or two? Yeah, well, you know, John Henry owns Liverpool anyway. And that's yeah. played there this summer. It was Liverpool against AS Roma. Oh, and, nice. um, but they have them at Gillette Stadium too. They had Chelsea. Chelsea FC played the Revolution in like a friendly game. So... Yeah. Because I saw a friendly in Yankee Stadium when they first opened it, and I was like, "This is a great idea." Yep. And then I realized, looking at the schedule, like they're having friendlies in all like the baseball stadiums yeah. you know, around the country, yeah. which is neat. The New England Revolution played uh, NYFC in September at Yankee Stadium. Oh, cool! Very yeah, cool. one of the games on their schedule. We've we've been definitely been paying a lot more attention to the Revolution now that they're good. They have Bruce Arena as their coach, and they've made yeah. the playoffs. Uh, they're probably due for a championship too, right? <laughs> we'll see. Do you guys have a uh, lacrosse uh, major league lacrosse team too? They're actually in the uh, the major league the major league lacrosse semifinals and championship game are this weekend, and uh, the Boston Cannons are one of the four teams. There you go. Oh, right? Hey. How about that. XFL? <laughs> XFL's coming next next year. XFL? Yeah, I don't think we have that. But <laughs> yeah, wait wait for the expansion. Up, right? Wait for the expansion. That's when they will <laughs> move to Boston. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That might, team be, of, that might be a tough road. I, I actually did go to, I went to a Boston college football game on a Friday night and it was nowhere near sold out because college sports just tend to kind of float below the, uh, the highest level here in Boston. That's just the way it is. Except for yeah. hockey though, right? Hockey. It's, it's, up, it's, there's, there's probably more interest in, in college hockey, but even that is not quite as, not quite as popular as the pro teams. This is definitely a pro town. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. again, too, when, you, when all your pro teams are super competitive and yeah. battling for a championship, it makes a big difference. Yep. So six days you got in last year. What do you think your prediction is going to be for next year? Oh, it's going to, it's going to be at least double digits. I think I got to go a few more times. I just have some ideas too of like ways that I can kind of double up a little bit of, you know, you have to work on the weekend day trips or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Doing some like newsletter research and whatnot that I can, that I can kind of double up with, um, you know, my personal interests. So I think I'll, I think I'll go more frequently. There's still a bunch of places I want to hit. Like I was saying, like there's a, there's a mountain that's not too far from here in Maine called Shawnee peak. I want to go to there's, um, and there's some other smaller ones that I've just just never been to for whatever reason. So, well, if you're going to come up with a comprehensive list of New England skiers, I think you have to visit them all. Firsthand yeah. knowledge, right? What's that? Firsthand knowledge. You have to, you know, share that firsthand perspective with everybody. Yep. Yeah, I wrote about that a few years ago. I did my New England bucket list because I kind of did this assessment of like all the areas and the ones I've been to and what's left. You know, some of them I left off because they were just so small. Like, you know, there's, I mean, some of them I skied, but like there's a place in Connecticut called Mount Southington that's just like a little hill. Even in Rhode Island, there's one that I've never been to, but wow. you know, those are like, would I be crushed if I never made it to those? Probably not. But is Camp but, you know, Gaw on your list? Is what? Right, Brian? Camp Gaw? Camp Gaw. That's the one that's, there's two, I think it's got, no, it's got two lifts and maybe like six trails, but you know, yeah. little guy, he's turning, he's two. So he's going to be about, you know, almost two and a half. During no skiing and skiing. That's I, uh, that's going to be our, our little weekend destination. I'm going to get up there at least a half a dozen times. And, you know, yeah. it's one of those things like, you know, you, do you want to make the trip all the way to Vermont to have a, a kid ski for 20 minutes and get upset and go inside? Right. It's like, no, I'm yeah. going to do that back home. And then we're going to ditch him with somebody. And then me and Andrea will go up and yeah. do some real skiing. There you go. I thought <laughs> my kids in my backyard when I lived in Connecticut. I mean, we, oh, lived, really? yeah, we had a, we had a nice little slope in the backyard and, and we had bought, um, you know, these really small K2 skis because we knew that the kids would be able to hand them down. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we would go to very small ski areas and put them in lessons. I really, I truly believe that's the way to go. I mean, you know, going to a place like Killington and spending that much on a, on a lift ticket and, and everything it's a lot. is a lot of money when I think you can accomplish a lot of the same goals, you know, going to smaller places and, um, and doing it in your backyard. You know, I, we would take them, I would go out in the backyard because for a long time I worked nights anyway, but, uh, so me and the boys would be at home. And, uh, we'd go out in the backyard and I'd get them all dressed up and lug them to the top of the hill. And I'd put a couple of ski poles, you know, and just say, okay, just try and go around these, you know, and, cool. and they would, you know, they would do it. Sometimes they would fall, but I think they got their ski legs a little bit faster because we would just do it. And then, you know, if they got sick of it, well, we just walked right inside and there you go. Put on another episode of Bob the Builder. There you go. You're not <laughs> three hours away. You have to go on a car ride and everyone's miserable and upset. Yeah. 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 That's the way to do it. It's what I tell almost everybody, like just find inexpensive equipment at a yard sale or, you know, ski swap. I I went to a ski swap and they got, John got like stuff for his his daughter and son cheap. So yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've given, I've given some to my sister. I've given some to other friends. I still have like some small boots and some small helmets and stuff like that, that um, I'm just going to hand out whenever I can. 
because it's just, I'd rather it get used in, I don't care if people ski over rocks or whatever, just learning how to do it, cross their tips, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting kids like DPS carbon fiber <laughs> skis for their yeah. first, their first uh, foray into the sport. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean, they, just, they just need to get that balance and that sense of like the motion and dealing with it. And then, you know, then they're good to go. Once they learn, then yeah, good luck keeping up with them. Yeah, right. And if you have extra ones laying around, Brian can share some blueprints with you on how to make an Adirondack chair. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> did you one. see any of my postings? I uh, I built an Adirondack ski chair. Well, oh, really? I, was, I was kind of the assistant. My my wife's uncle, he's a, a woodworker, and he's uh, made dozens of Adirondack chairs. So last year, I just got a whole bunch of... We had a bunch of old, old skis sitting around. Some of them are actually... Two pairs of Mario's, one is Andrea's, one's her yep. sister's. And I'm like, you know what? Like, would you want to help me build that Adirondack ski chair? He's like, yeah, no problem. So Labor Day weekend, we finally got to it. And uh, it's actually sitting here in the studio. But since my camera's frozen, I can't show it to you, but I'll, I'll post some more pics. But it turned out so awesome. That's like, great. The only thing that sucks. I'm sharing my screen now. The only thing that sucks about it is that it's in my basement in New Jersey instead of being outside a deck overlooking yeah. a mountain in a ski town. Yeah. Right. Right. That's, that's the only negative to it here. There it is. Oh yeah. Nice. Is. Nice. Yeah. It turned out really cool. Uh, we've seen some of them online. They they've used the skis also for the part you sit in on the chair. Yeah. But we, uh, we, we were messing with that idea and we're like, yeah, it's, it wasn't as comfortable as having the contour of the actual wood. So, so what did that take? Four, four pairs of skis to make that three. Yeah. The, um, the arm, Right there, yeah. the arms are the back of those head skis on the outside. Oh, yeah. Those are my skis that I had for ages that I, I skied on them after doing a demo day at Killington. And I was like, I got to get new skis. Yeah. I remember that day. You're like, yeah, these are awful. I'm buying these brand new skis now. <laughs> I was like, I can't ski on these anymore. They're unskiable. Well, I have some, I have some up in my attic that are, that are way, way older than those. I mean, holy shit. Like some old, <laughs> some old Rossies from the eighties and I think my wife's my wife's first pair that's up there somewhere are like Niesel. I don't even know if they make those anymore. Oh wow. A N I E S S E L or something like that. Oh wow. nice. Yeah, yeah, I've got my uh my parents' old skis from the sixties down here in my basement. Yeah. And the boots. They're like, yeah, the boots are um they were made in Kitzbühel, Austria. And they're like, you know, the nice. old leather ones. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm keeping them here because I'm like, when I get my ski house, I'm like, I am going to hang these skis up. So yeah. that's why I still have them around. I like I that. think you should ski them one day on a retro day. Oh, my God. I should like blow out my knee. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> you ought to take out my old, my old Rossies would be the best ones to use on a retro day. And I, I would love to like just feel the difference, you know, between the, the, the atomics I have now versus those old like whatever i don't even remember what what style what they were they were like yeah. old skis, you know They're like 235s like super long narrow yeah maybe not that not shaped <laughs> not shaped not cambered and you notice the difference like those head skis were they were just going straight there was no yeah. turning i was like i can't turn in these skis yeah isn't, crazy isn't it funny like how i mean obviously in modern society we're all getting a little bit soft in all aspects of life but then you watch those videos of like stein erickson in like the 60s on those yeah. little tiny skis, just Fine like down. it was like magical what he was doing. Like, yeah. like we couldn't do that with the again the fanciest carbon fiber DPS skis, and he's just like boop 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 yeah. on those on those twigs. Remember like the two twenties that people were skiing with, and it was like, yeah, hey, what do you got, bro? I got two twenties, and like things are huge compared to the things we we ski on now. You know? I know. 
I know. It's the equivalent right. of how much you bench, bro. It's <laughs> a relic of a former era. That's right. Big boards. I'm going to take them out this afternoon. <laughs> Crazy. I do. I do like all that old stuff, though. There's a there's a ski shop near my house that I um where we bought all our equipment, and they have a lot of uh, old stuff on the walls. It's fun to look at. And then and then there's a great restaurant up near Sunday River on their access road. I forget what it's called, but it looks like an old like like a Swiss chalet or something like that. It's like a pizza joint. And the entire interior is decorated with all kinds of skis, old, nice. you know, 80s, 90s, everything, but, but some really old stuff. It's just cool to look at and think about. It's amazing and terrifying to look at, right? Because you're like, they had to have some cojones to like strap those like, you know, like leather bindings, like they're, they're like lashing their feet to the, that thing's not coming out. Like your, right. your knee's going with it. If you follow oh, yeah, you What was cool. So this summer we went, my, my family and I, we went to Norway because that's oh. where my, my father-in-law lives there now. I remember so, you told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to the, the Holman Colon, which is in Oslo. It's the, the big oh, ski jump. And that's where they have the world cup events. They've had, mm -hmm. I think the Olympics in 19, I think it was 60 was there in Oslo. And they have this whole ski museum there and it just shows the history of skiing in Norway. I mean, it was used for hunting. It was using for transportation, you know, all throughout their history. So they were showing old bindings and old skis and old poles, but they even had the skis of former champions that were there. Oh. So like, um, like Oscar Svindal and they had, um, the, so the, Downhill skiers, cross-country skiers, ski jumpers. They had all their skis there from the, you know, and you could just look at the ski and go, oh, that was the 90s. Oh, that was the 80s. Because sure. just the color, the design, the shape, the length, it, it's so, it, it really just shows that era. I mean, you know, if you're familiar with the sport, you can really pick it out. Yeah. It was yeah, cool, though. It's cool old stuff, for sure. But the old, I mean, the really old stuff, you know, from like the 1900s that they were showing. I mean, that stuff is crazy. It was yeah. almost, you know, it was almost if you were uh, an elite, you'd have a more ornate decorative ski with some sort of metal inlays and, uh, you know, more design versus like a more pedestrian one. It would just be a simple wooden plank. Yeah. Hmm. Still really a piece of wood. Bark on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, literally just much. a piece of wood. Just put some wax on it and go down the hill. Yeah, it's it's just so ingrained in their culture. It's, well, it's, it's like you so see the old cool. ski poles, and when they say you know the basket for the ski pole, it literally was a basket. Yeah. Like, like that's what it was. It's not just what they termed it. Yeah, there was actually yeah. a movie they did a couple of years ago, and I think it's on Netflix now. And they have this this painting, and again, because my free screen is frozen, I can't show you guys. And it's a painting they had there at the Holman Colon, and it's of these two Viking. Well, I guess they wouldn't be Vikings anymore, um, but they're protecting the king. It was like the he was like a little baby, and he was the last of the bloodline of yeah. the royalty. And the guy from Game of Thrones who played um, Tormund. He's the guy in the movie. It's actually like a Norwegian cask, cast, not cask, but they, um, yeah, it's about them protecting the, the, the royalty and the, the bloodline and they're, you know, at skiing and they're fighting in the snow on their skis. So pretty cool. It's yeah. amazing too. Like I remember, um, going to Italy, they had like the, uh, world war one tour mm. and you hear these stories about how they used to ski and fight in the mountains. You're like, I didn't know this was going on. You know, nobody talked about it, but they'd be fighting for years just on the mountains, you know, kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. That's the, whole, that's the whole origins of like the 10th mountain division in the United States that that whole division was created. They trained up in Vermont and they trained in Colorado and it was entirely for the purpose of like mountainous combat during world war two. 
It's crazy. Yeah, and didn't wasn't a huge percentage of ski resorts founded by mm-hmm. veterans of the 10th Mountain Division. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. It was a great a couple of years ago for the Army Navy game, Army wore um tribute uniforms that paid tribute to the um to the 10th Mountain Division. And so nice. my assistant at the time, her brother worked at Nike, which made the uniforms. And he was able to, before anyone else got him, he got me a, a shirt that had the same, you know, it had like the same uh, design scheme and whatnot. And it's, oh, nice. you know, nice. Division. And it was commemorating the army Navy game, but it was just a really cool way to, um, it was just a really cool way to honor that division. And, you know, obviously if you were a skier, you were interested whether you liked football or not, because it was just a, you know, patriotic and cool thing to do. That's very cool. That's yeah. really cool. We actually, I'm looking at a sticker we have here from the 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirit Company out yep. in Vail. That place is pretty cool out in Vail. They got, it was founded by 10th Mountain Division as well. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's unbelievable that. And they, I mean, they, those people were responsible for cutting all the first trails and everything involved in skiing. But a lot of them, yeah, like you're saying, a lot of them were the ones who, either founded the resorts or they worked as the ski instructors or, you know, they developed ski schools. They really did a lot to boost the whole, the whole notion of skiing as a recreational pursuit in the U S. So I'm thinking we should all get embedded with the, uh, with the training with those guys. What do you think? Uh-huh. Not a bad idea, right? Go train with them for like two weeks. That's a great story right there. They'll get you in shape. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if we survive, if you want to see me crying like a little baby, <laughs> You know what I really want to do, but it's always contingent on a great winter is I really, really want to get into like, like checking out some backcountry skiing. I really have never done anything like that. And I know, I think it's up at Bolton Valley, which is another place in Vermont that I've never been. I think every year they have like a, um, like a, a ski race. That's, that's like that where you, where you climb and you descend. And, um, I forget what exactly what they called it, but I remember someone sent me something on it. But it just got me thinking about how cool it would be to like, you know, just do your own thing to to get up there and then ski down as opposed to just like lift served resort style skiing, you know, but I think that's a, you know, not only will it be like, you know, something you got to go up there for a weekend or a couple of days for, but it'll probably be pretty expensive. That's a, that's definitely a red pill moment. I know when we first went out to Jackson hole and did that backcountry tour i was like oh my god like this is so awesome because again skiing is a blast and so the first day we were there you know mario and i were like little kids we were so wiped out after two days because it was like trees moguls jumps trees we did moguls. everything the first two days and we were just yeah. wiped we just yeah, ripped we were cooked probably yeah <laughs> but then we did the back country it's like oh cool we're hiking up here we're skiing down a bit we're boot packing we're going up and you're like also oh, this is why people want to go and do this i mean yeah. granted it's got yeah. a, it's a whole different set of you know complications and you got to worry about avalanches and have a little bit right more there. scared yeah you're a little you're a little apprehensive because in the back yeah. of your mind like we could die today you know but it is kind of cool like you get away from everything you really do feel one with the mountain when you do that. It's, it's so, so you cool. definitely got to put that on your bucket list to do. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I know that there are some operators up in, especially around like Bolton Valley. I know that they had, um, when they, when they mentioned this thing about this race that they had mentioned that they were tour operators or, or guides, guide services that, you know, were all inclusive. You pay one price and you get the equipment and a guide and, you know, the day's worth of whatever, you, whatever it is you do, the instruction and all that. So it's definitely on my list. I got to try it. 
it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work too. I mean, you, you also makes you appreciate just being able to cruise down and pop up on a lift and go back up and you have a beer in the gondola allegedly maybe. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a different world, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It really yeah. is great. Yeah. I've been on trips where people that were part of the group, you just didn't see the entire trip. And then you found out they did backcountry almost every day. And they yeah. were like, yeah, we, we were hiking for about three hours of the day. Uh, and then just, that's kind of what they did every day. It was like, wow. You know? Yeah. I've really been, th- I've actually really been thinking a lot about getting some cross country skis. I have a really, really old pair, but the only problem is they have like the toe boots with like the little tongue and they're starting to rip and tear. So it's not really a very enjoyable experience. So I was thinking about getting some new cross country skis because there's so much easy terrain around my house that there's like a big school complex that I can go to. There's a bunch of like old converted trails that I could go to that, you know, won't be plowed or anything. So I feel like I can get in really good shape that way. And then, you know, like in the spring, another thing I really want to do is go to, go to Tuckerman's up in um, at Mount Washington. Tuckerman's right. Yeah. 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 I really want to go there. We almost made it happen this year. What's that? We almost made it happen this year, but, uh, I think it was that one weekend, but it had like, was it 200 mile an hour winds or something? Mm. And the, uh, their whole tower collapse up there. Mm. They had like a communication tower at the top that, that came down because of the crazy conditions. I didn't know that, but, uh, but I know that, I know that it was, it was, crazy popular, but there were also a lot of incidents up there this year too, whether it was like people Avalanche slid, all down, slid, off. slid all the way down. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't arrest his, uh, couldn't arrest his uh, slide and, you know, landed in the lunch rocks there and stuff like that. I mean, I've, I've hiked Mount Washington, but I've never, never at a time when I could go skiing there. So mm. that'd be, that'd be pretty high on my new England bucket list too. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Every year we say we're going to do it and something seems to to happen every year, but you know, I trying know. to again, but you know what? You're losing a year every year, so you got to make it happen sooner than later. What's that Warren Miller quote about? If you don't do it now, you'll just be a year older when you do. When you're there older, you when you, that's it. That's right. Yeah. All right, so we're coming up on an hour now. Uh, yeah. Matt, anything else that you want to share with us or share with the audience? Um. No. <laughs> at, at Matt Pep Fifteen on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you could do to promote that. And I'll do the, I'll do the same. You know, I must admit that, uh, my podcast listening has dipped a bit. I haven't, I haven't listened to your podcast in a, in a little while, but, uh, it's the summer. Man, we I understand. Can, summer. I can feel, you know, I'm, I bet you guys feel this way too. Maybe not you, Mario being in Florida, but <laughs> I, can feel, I can feel like, you know, the season approaching, you know, I, there was a day I was walking and the wind was really cold and I was like, Oh yeah, this is, you know, ski weather's coming and except know. today when it's like 90 degrees out. Yeah. Right. But mm-hmm. this is the last hurrah. It's dropping like 30 degrees in like three hours. Right. Last hurrah. Well, I'm going to be going over to uh, Europe in a few days and I'll get my dose of 50 degree weather. So it'll feel like it's coming. Yeah. But between all that stuff, I feel like, I feel like, you know, you can tell that ski season's right about here. So, you know, getting jazzed up about it. And I think that, you know, hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll be better than last year. I mean, every individual time I went last year was fantastic. You know, I went with my daughter on a day trip. I went by myself, went with my buddy, went, so there were a lot of, uh, a lot of cool days, but just not enough, you know? 
Well, it's the thing too. You, when they are limited in numbers, you do almost remember every turn you make because they are very unique and very special. So yeah, yeah, yeah. when it's when it's unfortunate, it's not the numbers you wanted. It's the the quality of the time and the you know the people you were with. That's what matters. So right, right. Like the last one of the one of the last times was I went with my daughter and we went to Stratton. I'd never been there. She really wanted to go because friend had told her how great it was i and this was this was actually the last uh newsletter right last newsletter was like all the all the the dumb stereotypes that i had known about stratton were completely dispelled that day and i would you know i would love to go back there i think that was great and then our last trip of the year was we finally got one day in march we were gonna we were gonna go up to like Okemo or Killington, but then we were concerned about the weather and just a million complicating factors. We ended up just going to Ragged Mountain in New Hampshire, which is a really cool place. Um, inexpensive tickets, two peaks. They have a six-passenger high-speed high-speed chair. And uh, so, you know, we went up there on a Saturday in March and had an absolute blast, my, just me and my family, and that was our last day of the year, so... Good day. It's all about the quality of it. That's what's truly important. But, you know, nothing wrong with being a little greedy, right? That's true. That's what keeps us coming back, though, right? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Quest for powder. Right. So There's Matt, snow falling out west already, so it's it's definitely time to look out for it. They got yeah. four feet in Montana. Crazy. September 30th. Yes. And hey, we got 90 degrees for right. a day. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be out there soon enough. So Matt, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much for joining us at Matt Pep 15 on Twitter. It's all downhill newsletter. We'll have a link in the show notes. You'll probably have it back up on your, your Twitter profile. Yeah. I'll put it up there. We will see you in the next couple of weeks at the ski and snowboard expo. So we'll be hanging out and uh, yeah, we thank you again for your time. Okay, great. You're welcome, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. Awesome. Yeah, have a good one. We'll keep all right, Matt. Boom. Boom. That was our interview. Again, we hope you enjoyed it. More info on our website. Have the show notes there. If you want the link to the It's All Downhill newsletter, check them out at MattPep15 on Twitter. And check us out at SkiBumPodcast.com. If you want more info, hit us up, SkiBumPodcast at gmail.com. Under the ropes. Mario, kick us off. All right, so first up we have... In case you were wondering where your next state could come from, it could come from a vending machine. So there's all this talk about fake meat now. Burger King has their fake burger and everybody's naming. Dude, this Beyond Meat stuff is ridiculous. <laughs> everybody's coming up with these. It's like naming pharmaceutical drugs. They're coming up with these crazy names. I think the people from the pharmaceuticals just went over to the, the fake meat people and like, <laughs> hey, we'll come up with some cool names for like fake meat for you. They actually so. introduced it in Germany too recently. And it's like at Lidl, you know, the, um, the discount grocery store. Yeah. And apparently it sold out like immediately, which I was really? very surprised by. Cause there's Germans, a lot of, but there's a lot of German vegans. They like their, their non-meat stuff as well. They usually like it with the meat, but they like it in there. Usually it's meat with a side of meat with a side of fake meat. <laughs> no, they have a lot of good salads though. You know? Yeah. Usually it's meat salad. <laughs> Anyway, so the appeal of vending machine that delivers food to you, uh, you can eat on the spot like M&Ms or potato chips, or Oreos or soda. That's usually what the appeal of vending machine is. But new innovations are looking towards a, a farmer's fridge and they're talking about considering raw meat and ready to eat um, 
So they're saying uh, Joshua Applestone, farmer, founder of Applestone Meat Company, sees a future in vending machines filled with shrimp steaks, pork chops, and Italian sausage. I freaking love this, actually. This sometimes, sounds so awesome. So think about it. You get a good butcher. They do all the carving. They bring it in, and then they stack the meat in here. And it's just the same as when you go to a, a grocery store, and it's sitting there out. You don't know who's touched it. This Nobody's touching it. You just go in, and you buy it from a vending machine. Um, 24-7 accessibility to meat. Oh, that's that's part of it. Two o'clock like, in the morning. You want a strip steak? Boom. I got a strip steak for you. Because do you have a local butcher near you? You know, I've been noticing there's one local. I haven't gone to him yet, but I've noticed a few around. So I'm going to start checking them out. But look at the hours. I'm sure it's like nine to four, nine to five, maybe nine to six. Yeah. And then not know? right around the corner. I actually keep telling Mel that uh, we should probably think about investing and in, in building out a butcher deli. In downtown would be kind of nice. What about a butcher shop in the sky? Drone deliveries. Drone delivery. Ooh, meat, meat by air. The just birds will attack it though. You get hawks like just start taking them down. Ah, dude, we're gonna have like like little like mini F sixteen drones. <laughs> <laughs> we have little like like uh, tomahawk missiles on there. We're taking all those bad boys out. That's awesome. So. um he, uh, so this guy, uh, Joshua Applestone, installed four of them at his four-year-old location in Stone Ridge in Ulster County, New York, uh, near the trendy town of Woodstock. So each is filled with a different type of protein, beef, pork, lamb, and ground meat, and sausage. And he has to restock the, the meat, the machines constantly to keep up with demand. So later this year, he's expanding to Hudson, where the store will have at least seven machines. And by early next year, they're open in Scarsdale, where he's planning for 10 machines. So 2019, he's planning in the, in the, at the end of 2019, he's planning to open in Manhattan with possibly even more. So that sounds pretty awesome. That is really cool. And I like how he, I mean, the prices too, you know, again, it's, you don't know exactly how much it's going to be until then. And I, I wonder how it's going to work. Like, do you, like how much choice do you have in your selection? You know, cause you know, when you go to a vending machine for, you know, chips or cookies or whatever, it's always just it goes a around in a little rotation thing. Yeah. Rotates it out. But it's not like you're always like, oh, I want that third bag that's back there. Like, are you going to like put in like how much, how big of a steak you want or how, you know, like, I wonder what sort of criteria you can choose from. On the I guess it depends, machine. like, how many machines he has, right? So if he doesn't have a lot of space for, like, he separated the one into, like, all meat, right? So if it's all, like, beef, then it's just going to have, you might not have the cut of steak that you want. But if you're looking for in a pinch, I'm sure he's going to put the high-selling items in there. It's a it's a yeah. good, good way for him to, uh... but he says um, accessibility is key to the unlikely success because customers don't have to get to the bush shop by 7 p.m. or buy questionable loaf of loaf leftover product from a late night market. Yeah, there you go. So I know if you go with like end of the day, you're, you're going into the supermarket, you're like, well, I want to get some meat. You know, you're not getting the fresh stuff that was out. They put it out in the morning and then they, they restock throughout the day, but it's kind of whatever has been picked through already. Well, let's do like, you know, if something that you like is on sale, you know how it is like at any big supermarket. If you're not there at like seven in the morning when the place opens, like you're not getting that, that cut of meat. You know, the, the, uh, the old people are just like on top of that. They're just like, like hawks. Oh yeah. Waiting for that store to open to get those, get the coupons out and get the cheap, cheap, uh, discounted cuts. 
So he's saying they're developing custom machines that will be ready by next year. And the current machines carry an average of 150 items. The new ones will cost about 30,000 each and hold as many as 1,000 items. And he says the next version will make it smoother and more intuitive process. He says it's like going to get your first iPhone. The goal is eventually establish them in every city, which really could be the... uh, the thing so the 24/7 machines in Stone Ridge now represent 70% of Apple Stone sales and require restocking several times a day. That's pretty wow, sick. several times a day, yeah. That's pretty wild. You can put them on like a like anywhere. Yeah, I, I wonder how much energy one of those bad boys uses. If you're refrigerating a thousand pieces of meat, it's got to have some pretty serious refrigeration and electrical costs going into it. Better have a backup on that too. Gets unplugged, you're screwed. Like, I want to... Do you see a picture of what it looks like? Like, I'm trying to envision it. If it looks like a regular vending machine... Oh, no, they have a picture in the article on Bloomberg there. If you go to the link, it's right in the front. I'm looking at it right now. The picture with him? No, it's on the top. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Looks like like regular vending. Well, like that old school, like the old school ones, like they had like the sandwiches in it that would spin around. Exactly. That's a serious goddamn vending machine. Wow. So if you think about those, the energy is efficient because you cool it down and you're only opening one little slot at a time. So everything else is staying nice and cool. So uh, I imagine opening a door on a fridge or a freezer where all the air comes out. I mean, think of the supermarket. You go to the supermarket and they have the meat in the thing and it's wide open. So that is Mm. just spewing out cold air. It's probably not as efficient as these machines. So your, your meat is probably staying colder. I wonder if there's some sort of like George Foreman grill attachment they could get to this thing. Ooh, they could probably do an attachment that you can cook it on it, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to figure out how can you cook this thing quickly instead of having to wait. You press the button and you say, I don't want you to vend it. I want you to cook it. And it goes Mm. without you touching it into this like little conveyor belt that goes and then cooks your meat for you. It could take all the heat that's being pushed out from that and use that to help like fire up the grill to cook it for you. Yeah. I still feel like too there if all right, say you don't want to cook it there, but you're driving home from work where you just are driving home from this vending machine, there's gotta be some better way to cook your food in your car. Dude, the Dan Marino um carburetor cooker, man. Just cook it in the car on the way home on the drive. There was I remember seeing something <laughs> about people putting it on their the engine block. Yeah, there's the I think Dan Marino did the commercial for it, right? It was the carburetor mm-hmm. cooker. Oh my god, that wasn't like an SNL skit. <laughs> you gotta think, think so. like how hot that exhaust manifold gets underneath the car, like going from the engine to the exhaust pipe. Like, there's got to be a way to to harness that heat. I mean, if you could like sear a steak using your exhaust pipe, because you know <laughs> no one uses like the CD in their car anymore. If you could like stick a piece of meat in the head unit of your radio, have it drop down. Nice, nice sear on there using the exhaust manifold, then bring it up, let it sit, get to room temperature, then you can eat it. That could work. There's definitely See, some kinks that have to get worked out, but the idea I think is there. Yeah, it's got to be the heat. You got free heat coming out of the engine. So you should be able to use that and harness it in a way to cook your meat. Like big green egg should be working with like Toyota. To come up with this. 
Or on the manifold, do you attach it to the manifold? Yeah, the ma- there's got to be a way to put it in from the cabin so that it goes to the manifold, drops down, sits on there for a couple minutes, flips back onto it, and then goes and rests until you get home and then your steak is ready and waiting for you. Yeah. Or have like an engine block add-on like done at the manufacturer with like a little griddle. And then you put a little cap over the griddle and then you take off from the butcher by the time you get home. It's good. Yeah, a more, temperature. Do you know how many more V8s they're going to sell because of this? <laughs> get a, oh, you get a Hemi. You got to get much, the Hemi. I need as much heat as possible. I'll take the Hemi. Let's <laughs> give you the Hemi. Oh, that'd be great for... Um, for tailgating you just pop the hood open and just there you go i got the engine is the grill fire it up yeah i just start hitting the gas pedal a few times whoa 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 my steak's all done that's it i think i think we got a win-win right here we are definitely on to something here we should talk to the applestone folks applestone dodge together that's right we can make something out of this tesla Oh, they don't have uh they don't big, have engines. See, this they is where you get big you get big oil involved in this and you got some backing. They're like, <laughs> yeah, we'll support this. That's a great, great reason to have a big gas engine in there. Have a charcoal you're, engine. You're not using a goddamn Prius to cook your steak. That's right. It's like I can heat up my quinoa in my Prius. Need a gas and charcoal engine. That'd be great. Gas. Oh yeah, yeah. right. The mm. big green how about big green egg makes a car? There you go. A Weber car. <laughs> Weber mobile, yeah. Hey, what are you driving? I'm driving a Weber. Things oh, great. A, I got a 2010 Weber. Traeger. You got the little Traeger pellet car. Yes. There you go. That could <laughs> yeah, work. See? And you don't, it doesn't matter if you drive for eight hours. Like if you got a long ride, that's even perfect. I, I slow cooked this for like four hours on the way here. You know? What kind of car you got? I got an SUG. <laughs> Sport utility grill. <laughs> that's it, man. That's all you need. Yeah. Basically a grill with a steering wheel and a seat. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got one more final story today on this episode. And it is from the good folks down in New Zealand. ASICS. Yes. The shoe company apologizes after pornography ran on its large screens for hours. Damn. And the ASICS. Hell? Something was running. It was running fast. <laughs> and it wasn't the ASICs. Uh, they weren't wearing ASICs in said video. That's for sure. An ASIC store manager has apologized and says a full investigation is underway after pornography appeared on large screen TVs above its Auckland Central shop. Oh. A spokeswoman at ASICs head office has also confirmed the company has contacted police and NetSafe over the incident. The store manager, who gave his name only as John, said the incident happened because of a cybersecurity breach. Of course it did. He was 100% sure the explicit videos had not been uploaded by one of his staff. Of course. course Oh, yeah. Of course not. Shoppers on Queen Street, including young children, had been shocked to see pornography playing on the large screen outside the sportswear shop on Shortland Street, which witnesses say ran from 1 a.m. to 10 a.m. when staff turned up for work. Oh, so wait, uh, they closed. Oh, they closed at 1 a.m. and they opened. Well, at 10 I'm sure the store closed at like 8 p.m. or 6 p.m. or something. And then uh, porn all day. Somehow, 
somehow allegedly the porn just cranked up at one in the morning. Damn. Crank him up. We got porn going. Oh my God. Head office of our IT team has begun a full investigation into what happened and who uploaded the page. <sighs> I, I don't know how one uploads a page and porn is playing, but I wonder if they got like a feed from, you know how these companies do the feed for your company and they'll pipe in like, you know, your, your commercials and they'll also pipe in like, you know, TV. Yeah. Cause, cause I've seen, you know, it's like a thing now. So I wonder if, uh, they're trying to say that somebody at one of those sites or somebody in, in between that pumped in a whole bunch of porn <laughs> or redirected it to pull from like a porn site. So this was at an ASIC store. I wonder if it was like, like new balance or like Reebok. <laughs> That's right. The shoe wars are on. They're the hot shoe, and heavy. The shoe wars have begun. Shall we say they're hot and heavy? Hot and heavy. That's crazy, man. And, Oddly I mean, enough, somebody realized... Nine hours they had it on for. Well, I love how people knew exactly. It was on from 1 a.m. till 10 a.m. <laughs> That's when they stopped it. Imagine you're, like, you're walking into work at like 9.50 Sunday morning to go to the ASIC store. You know, you were out with your buddies, had a couple drinks. You're feeling a little hungover. You're like, God damn, I have to go into work. And you're walking over to the door and you look up and you're like, Oh, damn! What the hell just happened? Green. Like, what would you even? How could you even respond to that? Yeah, you just like I, I don't know. Should I even go in? Like, what's happened to Asics? Did they change direction overnight? It's like we are the official footwear company of Pornhub. Porn, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, porn stars have feet too. That's right. It was the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. It's like, are you wearing Air Jordans? No, these are Wang Jordans. Wang Jordans. I wore them for the first two seconds of the of the scene. That's about it. Damn. Yeah, this is very Project Mayhem in Fight Club. You know, like this is a. I love how they say we sincerely apologize to those who saw the content, and you know the caveat, the unsaid thing is who didn't appreciate it. <laughs> you know, some guy was out there just kind of taking care of business, watching the thing at three in the morning. Yeah, they should have said, we apologize to those who are offended by it. And for everyone else, you're welcome. They probably put like an Apple TV in there or like a, uh, a Chromecast. with like no, no security. Yeah, right. Someone just streams it off their phone and has it go up on the screen. You know, it would yeah. be brilliant if this was like a uh, promotion for the new Joker movie. Ah, oh, that would have been perfect. That would be a brilliant tie-in, right? They got to jump right in there. They got to like... All right. Mother was on the way to breakfast with her seven-year-old son, said the content was totally inappropriate. Yeah, I could see that. That seven-year-old's going to be... <clears> he, learned messed a, up. he learned a new thing today. Let's put it that way. He did not order the sausage with breakfast that day. <laughs> He's like, never what again. What is that? There's a lot of explaining there. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up the old podcast for the week. want to thank our pal Matt for taking the time for an interview today. It was great talking with him. We yeah, thank, thanks again, Matt. Yes, thank awesome. you. We want to thank our first sponsor, Quickie Wax. Check them out, quickiewax.com. Get yourself some wax, some swag. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We have our shop on there, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. If you want to hit us up with an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. We are on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at skibumpodcast. If you want stickers, DM us, preferably on Instagram. We're on all the podcasting apps, Stitcher, iTunes, 
Spotify, iHeartRadio. Go on there, rate us, subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. We're also on Pinterest and SoundCloud and a few other things. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview. We'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay fluting. See ya.